Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Can't Lap Podcast. Our guest on the show today, making his second appearance, is Fadi Busamra. Fadi is the Chief Investment Officer for Nashville's $3.9 billion pension fund, which, by the way, is performing top 1% in the country in all pension funds and has for the last seven years under Fadi's leadership. Fadi moved to America by himself from the country of Lebanon when he was 13 years old and has an incredible story, which you can hear more about from our previous conversation with him on the KLP episode 51. Be sure to check that out. He's a fascinating guy, good friend. We are launching a book club, so if that sounds something like something you may be interested in, visit cantlap.com forward slash KLP book club to learn more or go ahead and sign up while you're there. We also have a lot going on at YouTube, so be sure to check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Simply search the Can't Let Podcast on YouTube to find us there. And with that, give it up now for Fadi Busamra. Please enjoy. Great. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So, Planet of the Humans, how about we start there? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? By the way, thanks for texting that to me. You recommended that documentary. Yeah. And... It was not on my radar at all. So apparently this has been out since, was it 2019, actually? Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but YouTube took it down for, I think it was like 12 days last year. Yeah, it was for some weird reason YouTube took it down. And then, of course, they kind of pressed charges or whatever, had them like revisit it, and then they re-released it or let it go back out on YouTube. Yeah. But YouTube censored that that documentary. But it was full-length documentary, totally free on, on uh, YouTube. Yeah. And it was really great. Thanks That's for really recommending scary. it. That's really scary. Uh, you know, um, our, our society is built on the principle of freedom of speech and expression, and, and science relies on that. People being able to speak um, freely about their science, even if it's contradictory to popular opinion. And now, all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a society where uh, you know, you better you better not be for or fight for a cause that's unpopular. I mean, we saw recently where certain law firms were attacked for defending mm -hmm. uh, certain people. Uh, I mean, last I checked, uh, you know, you're supposed to be entitled to legal representation. That's how we safeguard our rights, our institutions, or and uh, and so now, if something is not uh, not uh, fitting the narrative. Uh, then we're going to take it down. And I think it should be the, a reason to have it up so that there's yes. a dialogue about it. Yes. That's unfortunate. I did not know that. Probably. Yeah. That's no, sad. I, I, I see stuff like that all over the place. Oh, it happens all the time. Hey, Andrew, I think our air purifier is on. If uh, you could hit the power button right in the middle of it there, that'll turn that off. I hear something humming in the background. Yeah, hit that power button right there. There you go. Now it's off. What do I hear, Andrew? There's a humming in the background. Nothing? We good? Okay. All right, we good. Um, yeah. By the way, thank you for the cigar. Do you like it? Yeah. yeah. That was from Jason Rogel from Guidance Whiskey. Yeah. Good good cigar. So um, what uh, did you think of that documentary? So I, I thought it was uh, very good. Um, I was surprised, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of pieces of information along there that I have learned from just investing around some of those themes and, uh, you know, just how much quartz, for example, goes into producing batteries, how much coal goes into production, how many, how much productivity we really get out of these plants and 
So uh, I was very surprised that they uh, they didn't get into the technical details, but they covered a wide yeah a wide array. And um, I think that it, it just shows that um, we're not taking the time to find out the validity and efficacy of some of these things before we go ahead and implement them. Yep. Um, some countries have, um, and some countries that are that are very good at uh, using some of these technologies, uh, but they realize the limitations. Um, and uh, you know, I, I've, it's, it's surprising. Some of some of it is very counterintuitive. So, for example, uh, I, I've learned from from researching the topic that actually the more solar you generate on a grid, even though solar is very cheap. Um, actually the more expensive the energy is on that grid because you have to have all that standby power. So there's actually, you would think like, oh, the more I produce, the cheaper it gets. Mm -hmm. No, because that means you have more stand standby power. So, so there's a lot of things like that. And um, it doesn't mean that the technology is useless or can't be used. I think that, um, you know, certainly when you have places like L.A. with the pollution problems and lack of rain during the summer months, Having cars that are you know on battery can can kind of reduce some of that mm -hmm. smog and so on, but you're creating that problem somewhere else. So we yeah. have to have a more wholesome solution, whole solution, not just a piecemeal. Yes, um, and it's also the things that we fall for. Like uh, you know, I, I remember one time uh, I, I was renting a, a, a renting one of those golf cart things that take you from place to place downtown. And, you know, the lady driving it thought that uh, I was uh, a tourist, you know. It's just, I let her think that. So she was giving me an introduction to the city. It's kind of fun. And um, we go by. This the, was in Nashville? Yeah, in okay. Nashville. And we go by the Music City Center. And she goes on to tell me that uh, the whole thing is powered by solar panels on the roof. And, of course, I knew better because I was involved in the project. I invested the capital for the project. <laughs> I know how much money we paid NES to put in the, the electric grid. But, you know, now all you have to do is hang up a couple of solar panels and tell people, oh, I'm running off solar. And, you know, you know. Yep. I mean, <laughs> so, so it's kind of funny. It, it reminded me of that story I told where, you know, where Elon Musk said he's going to run this factory yeah. on, on uh, 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 solar panels, yep. but he's got this massive substation just to cater for his power plant. Yeah, you know? that's so, in use, by the way. Uh, it, not, he doesn't have any pan, any uh, plants that are totally run on solar. I mean, they're all hooked up to I mean, electricity, yeah. and it's a massive substation yeah. to run this plant. And by the way, I should have mentioned this for those that haven't seen Planet of the Humans, it's free on Netflix, a full-length documentary, and it talks about how basically that, you know, quote-unquote renewable energy, particularly solar and wind, it's not so renewable after all. And it, it's not, at least how we're using it right now, it's not, it's not the answer because those things take fossil fuels to create a massive amount. You look at these wind farms, now you are having, like, you're shearing tops of mountains, you're taking forests down, you're changing, like, miles of the topography, like in a desert, to put in these massive solar farms, those types of things. Yeah. And you're still using fossil fuels to get it all created, and it doesn't last forever. These things only last for a couple of decades at best, and then they stop functioning. Then you have to tear them down, rebuild, and that takes new fossil fuels. Furthermore, they take fossil fuels to run. So like that solar 
plant. And by the way, Andrew, if you could pull that up, the Avanpa, I don't know how you pronounce it. Ivanpa? Yeah, yeah I Avanpa, the solar factory, it's massive in the desert. And um, they, uh, but so the, the film investigates that, but then it also investigates. It's talking about the one that uses, uh, uses uh, uh, natural gas to heat the water. Yes. So then, then the solar panels, you know, keep it hot. Yes. So without, without the natural gas, you, you just can't. Exactly right. Yes. So, and I want to come back to that because that's kind of an interesting project. But to wrap up sort of what the film's about, so it's about solar and wind and how it's not so sustainable, renewable after all. And then it talks a lot about biomass, which apparently was or is still lumped in with renewable energy, which is basically cutting down a bunch of trees and burning them for energy, which doesn't seem like a very sustainable solution either. Um, but, but interestingly, it talks about the connection in there between environmentalist groups and corporations and billionaires and people with power and money that are kind of tied in with these environmental groups. It's fascinating. What, the interesting thing is, right before you got here, we mentioned Planet of the uh, Humans, and Andrew hasn't seen it yet, but it's been referred to him, and he's gonna, he probably will watch it. Um, however, he was like, Michael Moore is involved and it doesn't sound too interesting, might not watch it, but Michael Moore takes a different position on this film. I mean, usually he's very sort of left and liberal, right? But the kind of the talking points of this film doesn't fit that left and liberal narrative so much when it comes to environmental well, stuff, correct? It, it does fit the, the idea that we want clean air and clean water and so on. We just don't want to have it fake. We want to have a fake solution that only 20 years down the road, you know, whatever. And yes. And uh, so, so I don't know why the liberals or what you're saying, the activists wouldn't want to hear that. Why wouldn't they want the truth? But yes. maybe, maybe their motivation needs to be in question. And, and we see a lot of these organizations are actually, as the film points out, are backed by some of the biggest names in, uh, in the industry. And, mm-hmm. and we've seen it even on the investment side, you know, where people are being sold different ways to look at fossil fuels and ratings and so on. So I think that, I think that uh, it should be uh, interesting for everybody. Why, why wouldn't you want to hear it, even if you disagree with it? Yeah. You should hear it. And, and you know, that's one of the, the, the unfortunate things that, that in our society all of a sudden is that we don't want to hear views that don't agree with ours. And I think that's just, that's just ridiculous. If all yeah. you ever heard was views that agreed with yours, what would you learn? Exactly. I mean, what's the point you know, of having the discussions? How do we things? How yes. do we, you know, um, so of course my interest in the field is, is not just because I like clean air and water, but I also, from an investment standpoint, I want to know what the investment implications are because I don't want to invest in things that eventually become obsolete. And I didn't realize mm-hmm. that I need to have a terminal value of zero. Mm. You know, that's, that's kind of the, 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 the interest there. But, but at the same time, um, uh, you 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 know, as a person living on the planet, I also want clean air and clean water. Totally, and but, but I, I totally also agree. I I don't want to pay more for my gasoline or my natural gas if where the money is going is just creating another fake solution that's going to create a bigger problem down the road. Yes, know? and uh, I think if if you're going to watch uh, this this planet of the humans i think that bill gates also has some really interesting talks on youtube around this topic and let me tell you we give nuclear energy a bad rap nuclear energy can be very clean we've got to a point where we don't need huge rods uh 
that that they don't have to be as as radioactive. We, they, you know, they, they, there's a lot of technology there. We have technology that can enable these things to basically shut themselves down, and so we don't have the old technology where we have a meltdown situation where basically they rely on gravity to to make the thing come to a halt. So literally, engineers can get up off the their chairs at the at the at the plant and go home so their lives are not in danger and the plant just by gravity will shut itself down uh, so so we need real solutions not not make believe things mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, I think that it's uh, I think it's it's important for all of us to talk about these things you mentioned paying more for power to try to have like better things for the environment but that doesn't actually check out because you're just burning the fossil fuel, maybe not in your car, but you're burning it at the factory to create these solar, because these solar factories, they're using fossil fuels to yeah. fire up and create and everything like that. Is yeah, that it seems to me like like somebody's just created a better mousetrap to get our money. It has nothing to do with the with the clean environment. It's just a better mousetrap. It has a green label, and and uh, and now, you know, here it is, you know, and, and uh, so that that's not, that's not the kind of solutions. I, I would hope that that we will live in a society that's a little bit more advanced than that. Yeah. That we can actually have real solutions to problems, not, not just fake solutions to make somebody else rich. Yes. And, and to me, the, the whole, a lot of the stuff in the energy space is just a facade. You know, that all of a sudden I can pollute as much as I want and buy some, some carbon, uh, uh, carbon credit from somebody, and all of a sudden I can advertise that I'm green. Well, how did I, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So, so the way that would work is, and by the way, I heard, uh, I heard someone say recently that to run an electric car actually uses more carbon dioxide. It releases more carbon dioxide into the air than not, not the, not the running of the car, right. but the, um, the, uh, everything that goes into getting right, right. the car built and then. Uh, supplying the power to your house, which then feeds the car. So the actual driving of the car obviously is a lot cleaner with an electric car. Um, but that whole process it actually emits more carbon dioxide into the air than just running a regular car. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, that's but not a rumor. That's true. So my understanding is that the carbon footprint of a Tesla is much higher than a comparable gasoline engine. Okay? You have to drive the Tesla for around 130 or so thousand miles. Don't quote me on that number. I, I don't have it right. Somewhere around that, and they break even. Oh, wow. Okay, that's my understanding. Okay. And again, is, is it a perfect science of how to, they're looking at how much carbon emissions and environmental damage you're creating when you uh, mine for the quartz and, and so on and so forth. And then, and then keep in mind, all you, most of the technology that goes into the, the uh, a combustion engine is is steel, and you have glass and other products. Just you don't have the battery. That's the biggest yes. difference. Uh, the battery and and so on. so so now you have to burn. Um, you have to burn all that fossil fuel for you know a number of years until then you you are you know you're actually bad for the environment where exactly. the other the tesla rolls off the assembly line really bad and needs a long life to 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 get good with that's God. fascinating that's yeah. very fascinating so, so it's a, it's it doesn't sound like a huge uh step 
forward for mankind. No. <laughs> okay? no. But but what, what 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 Elon Musk, Elon Musk is not here to defend himself, so maybe we should he would say that that's not his fault that the the electricity is not being generated purely green. Right. Okay. So that's a fair point. Um, now is it possible to generate just pure green energy without, you know, that's to be debated. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's something to be said about this thing we call the sun that's constantly emitting this huge energy source that we can capture for, we, we were told for free. Yeah. But then it turns out that we're, we need all this technology and all these things from deep down into the, in the earth courts and yep. this and that and, and, and cobalt and, you know, different things just to get at it. And then, so, so then maybe, maybe we should do it, but we should think about how to do it efficiently and think about the, the you know, it, it was kind of disturbing in that movie to see all those old solar panels, just broken glass yeah. laying on the ground. They don't even want to pay the money to clean it up. They just put new panels, Yep. In, in, you know, next door, you know? Yep. So that's not what, I think of green sustainable. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I agree. And by the way, I'm a fan of electric cars. I mean, the you Tesla have I have, I have yeah. one. Yeah. And it's, um, it's about a hundred thousand miles. So it's getting close to the yeah. point where to it's going to return. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but what I like about it and, and by the way, I'm all in on keeping this environment good and taking care of the earth. Like I'm all in on that for sure. When it comes to some of the climate change stuff, I just don't know. I don't, I don't really have knowledge in that whole area. Um, I have heard the argument that it's carbon dioxide is not so bad. Plants need carbon dioxide. So having carbon dioxide emitting out into the air is not the worst thing ever. But there, I get the argument of, hey, we have a lot of people on, on this uh, planet. We have a lot of businesses and corporations. As we go about industry and economy and what we do, let's take care not to ruin the earth. I'm 100% in on that. Back to electric cars. I'm a huge fan of electric cars just for the driving experience. You know, like your Mercedes, I'm sure that drives pretty great also. Um, but there's something about the electric and how it's so quick and responsive and torquey and just, it's just like driving a, a luxurious, very fast golf cart. You know what I mean? And like that, I think it makes so much sense. There's so much about that that makes total sense. Let's just keep in mind, this is the point of the film, that as you're going out there and drive, buying these Teslas, if you're doing it, for the certainly what it sounds like the near term motive to save the planet it's just not it's not there it's, let's do it that's a great way to drive cars it's a great way to you know but it's not as renewable or sustainable i guess as m maybe we once thought and, and maybe it can be the the right solution to specific problems as long as we understand the limitations i mean i i can tell you the times that i've flown into la in the middle of the summer, the air is very dirty. And so uh, a lot of it is coming from the cars. And uh, let's face it, it's like, I mean, you go into L.A. with, uh, uh, you know, as you approach LAX and all you see is streets, parking lots. They, they leave very little trees. <laughs> yeah. So, so not, you know, maybe that's, that's uh, but anyway, so, so my, my point is that maybe it is a solution for places like that to have an emphasis on on that so that they can but they are just displacing uh the 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 pollution and, yes uh, and that, that doesn't really help the overall planet because i'm assuming that if we're going to save the planet that means we got to have less emissions 
global. You're not just in certain places. Exactly. Right? Most so, certainly. Yeah. Andrew, can you pull up the Avanpa power, what's it called? Avanpa solar power facility in the desert. All right. So here we go. So if you scroll down on here, Andrew, um, and I don't know if you can enlarge it. I can barely read that text from here. There we go. Keep scrolling down. There was a, there was a portion down there on impact. Uh, performance. Yes, talking about what they export. Okay. Well, one of the things that, uh, yeah, keep going down a little bit here to the environmental impact. So somewhere I saw that actually scroll down a little bit more, Andrew. Here we go. So this thing kills 3,500 birds in one year. And a lot of these bird deaths are from, they fly. So the way this thing works is there's all these mirrors out in the desert taking up six square miles, I think. So that's like the equivalent of like two miles by three miles, right? Or it's maybe two and a half by three, however that shakes out. But six square miles, that's a lot. And these mirrors reflect back up to a big tower that's holding water. And these mirrors use the sun to reflect up to this tower and heat the water. And that generates power. But they use fossil fuels to heat, like to turn it on in the morning, basically. Is that right? And, and I guess the birds, when they fly by these mirrors, they just get roasted. Yeah. And I'm sure some of them are endangered. I mean, the odds are some of them are endangered, right? But nobody gives a damn, you know? Right. Uh, but no, they were like the falcons. Wind, like, the, these are not like little, uh, like little blue, uh, blue jays getting roasted. Yeah. Like, they're falcons and like that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Owls? Some, somehow that's okay. But, uh, and, and then also windmills are very notorious for, uh, for also killing birds. Um, I think now the new technology is to create um, uh, some kind of a sound that would keep the birds away, similar to how some airports use that. Um, mm. That humans you, I mean, can't hear, but birds we, can? Well, a sound that humans can't hear? Well, but there's birds no can. humans in the, middle of a, yeah. uh, in the middle of a wind tunnel. You don't want to be anywhere near one of those things. I mean, the howling sound. Howling sound from what? The, oh. The ton- the windmills turning. It's like I've never heard one. No. It's like it's like this. Maybe we can get an audio from the internet, but it's like, and you got five hundred of these things going on. Oh wow! It's wild. Yeah. So if you happen and, to live close, and you know, uh, so they have gears inside. They're very sophisticated, and in order in order to really get power. You know, you have to sort of gear it down, meaning like have a lot of torque. Okay. So when you see one just spinning freely like this, it's not generating much. They got to have be spinning so much that they gear down the torque and then it starts to move like slowly, agonizingly. And that's when it's pulling a lot of energy, you know. And oh. it's, it's really amazing. It's great technology, but they're, they're huge. And, 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 um, let me tell you that, that that wind is not consistent, right? It doesn't blow consistently. And solar, I mean, I mean, not only do you have night and day, but you also have clouds and so on and so forth. So, so um, it doesn't mean you can't harness these things, but, uh, but I think the time to vilify fossil fuels is when we have a substitute. And we don't have a substitute. So maybe we should be thinking, maybe we were right all along to make cars burn more efficiently with cleaner mufflers and cleaner environmental systems. Maybe that was the right approach all mm. along. Uh, and, and maybe things like the, the, the 
it was the Toyota, what is it called? That had the dual engine. The Insta Prius? Prius. Thank yeah. You. That had kind of like could could, you know. That had gas and gas electric. And electric, it. but the, you didn't you didn't necessarily have to plug it in. Yes. Uh, you could just it would charge while it's running. It's a tiny little motor, like one point three cylinders or something like that. Anyway, so I, I, I'm not an expert on this topic, but uh, it's 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 really become obvious to me that uh, that we just can't buy the narrative that everybody wants to sell. And then what's really scary is as the movie digs into it, you find out that you know the 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 anti Coke brothers and anti these companies would tell you, oh, you know, we're anti those people because. We want green energy. But yeah. you find out that these very same people are behind the technology. They are. For, for the clean energy movement. So they don't care. <laughs> because because you would want people getting into, air quotes, clean energy if you owned, say, a mining operation that sells the quartz or whatever's needed for these batteries, right? Now you have a financial interest in America or the whole globe going green, so to speak, because everyone's going to make a whole bunch of batteries and they're going to need a whole bunch of quartz or whatever it is that you happen to sell. Yeah. So it's, it's managing risk for, a, for, a, for an investor. If, if, I'm, if I'm heavily into fossil fuels, I better get into on this act because you know, as the, it ebbs and flows, I get to make money. You know? So it's a, it's a yes. diversification, really. Yep. Okay, so the, there is one aspect here that I still don't fully understand. So if you could just walk me through it, I, I think... Um, hopefully I can get it. But it's this idea that the combination between solar and fossil fuel to generate electricity can make the per unit hour of that electricity generated more expensive because solar works great during the day, not so great on cloudy days, not great when it's snowing, not great when it's raining, uh, and certainly not great at night. So solar is great when you have it, but you don't always have it. And you know you don't always have it. You know that night's built in everywhere. So to complement for that decrease in energy generated, you have to have fossil fuel to generate power when, when the solar is decreased. And to generate the amount of power, you kind of have like a, I think of it as like a, a mean demand of power, like a medium demand of power, day, night, you know, however this works, a city kind of knows how much power they need to generate, right? So you install a bunch of solar panels. That's great. You have this power during the day or on sunny days, but then on off days and nights, now you have to use your more traditional source of energy, fossil fuels or whatever, to generate that power on the offset. The problem you run into is now you need the apparatus, the fossil fuels, the the, the whatever you need you need that capacity to complement for when the solar capacity is down. The issue is so now you need the same capacity, but you don't have the demand twenty four seven on that capacity. So now you're in a situation where you have the you you need the same capacity, but you don't have the same demands on that capacity, which just means that your utilization of that capacity is no longer nearly as efficient. And so now you're paying more for electricity. Is that accurate? Is that a butchering of it? Do, do I not understand it at all? Can you talk talk me so, through that? No, I think that's accurate. Um, there's a you, you have to look at it from a num- uh, from a uh, number of perspectives. So let's say uh, I 
I'm going to. I'm the fossil fuel provider to the grid in in this city. I have to build a plant that would supply enough power for the city in the middle of July when it's a hundred degrees out and clouds all of a sudden move in. Okay, I gotta have enough. So I'm I'm have to have a hundred percent capacity to cover you. Okay, but then you're not gonna use me except when the solar is not working. So so you gotta you I got you gotta pay for my plant. I gotta amortize that cost and you gotta pay for that other plant. Okay? The solar plant. The solar plant. Yeah. And then I gotta stand by with motors running and maybe wasting some electricity just so as soon as a cloud crosses, <laughs> I have to put in power into this. Okay. Thing, okay. So, so on one hand, I, I am now underutilizing this, okay, but I still have to pay for the capital cost, okay? And then I have to pay the capital cost of the, of the solar. Now, I'm getting very cheap solar, but I have this. So what happens is as the percentage of solar utilized in a certain area increases, the cost of energy, every unit actually goes up, not down, because now I'm, I'm not utilizing, there's more dead time here. So I'm getting the, the really cheap electricity from here, but I got to have more and more standby power that's not being utilized. Yes. Okay. And then it really gets ugly when you start to talk about, well, why don't I store the electricity? that's generated when I don't need it to use later. Like, for example, in batteries, or there's places that pump it up to the top of a mountain to be stored in a lake and then released through hydro... Electricity? Yeah, that's a way to... to, to, to uh, no, you pump water. You got, you got solar panels generate electricity. Mm-hmm. You use the e- electricity to run your pumps mm-hmm. to pump water up a mountain. Mm-hmm. And then when you need it, you release the water hmm. down the mountain, like through a hydro, like a hydro plant. Hmm. So I think, matter of fact, uh, Chattanooga has something similar to this. Oh, I didn't know. What I was so, saying. so, but, but the the loss is tremendous because now you, you you pumped it up to pump it down. You're not generating more power pump going down than you were going up. So, so yeah, it is a battery, but it's a very bad battery. Ah, it's <laughs> yeah. very expensive yeah, battery. Very expensive. Yeah, they use you, you, can, you can use lithium and other things to store again. 30% degradation, you know, inefficiency, and so on. So now that's fine, except when you start to look at how much fossil fuels and damage to the environment we cause when we replace these things. Yes. And that's what the movie is, is really focused on. I mean, these yes. things are, 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 uh, are, are not uh, uh, made out of, you know, magic dust. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, there's a real cost to that. Yeah, a massive cost to that. Yeah, yeah I just thought the so documentary did I answer was... your question about yes. the? I mean, it kind of makes sense when somebody explained. Somebody had to explain it to me, so I yep. was I was like, huh, what are you talking about? But uh, now, again, going back to that movie, um, what about you know, you know, supposedly we had these plants that were going to use pulp and scrap wood uh, from wood wood chippers and whatever, and but. You know, you build the plant, you got to run it or you lose money. So now you go out and cut trees just to feed the plant. Yeah, exactly. Wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to be planting trees. What? Yes. Um, so, so you mean to tell me when I give money to plant a tree, that little tiny thing, I'm also like cutting mature trees just yes. to create electricity? Is this what, just because it's not 
what, coal or natural gas? I, that to I'm me, confused. Yes, that to <laughs> me was the scariest part of the entire movie. That aside from just realizing that the corporations and the people with power and money have their hands in on both sides, so they could care. I mean, kind of to they could almost care less whether we go more green or whether we go more traditional because they they're making bukus of dollars either way. But if they see the general public going to go more green, well, then, yeah, get on the front end of that and position yourself so that what they need to go green, they have to buy it from you anyway. But one of the scariest, so apart from, like, the environmentalists sort of kind of being in bed with the people in power and whether they knew it or not, that was a little concerning because there's just this opportunity for a dual motive. And, um, I mean, you like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but when big money's involved, you have to be aware of that. But, But the bigger... The the other concerning thing to me was, yes, these biomass plants, that great idea to burn scrap or dead animals, you know, why not if that generates power? But then the idea that we go out and cut down forests to burn, that seems, it seems ludicrous, to be honest. Why would tell people to go plant trees? Well, and, and also the trees is what processes the carbon dioxide in the air. Right. You know what I mean? So like... And just on that again, you know, my so this is I've heard. I by the way, I'm not an expert on this stuff. I really don't know that much about it. But from what I have heard is when you go back, I don't know, a few decades and look at like satellite of the Earth. Apparently, we have more green going on right now because we're emitting this carbon dioxide, which is plant food. Our plants are doing great. The problem is we're cutting them down. So if we can leave our plants and trees intact to process this carbon dioxide, that would be a pretty good first step. But we're cutting down a lot of this stuff for biomass. Yeah. So, Kent, I think you were very, being very kind uh, to the energy producers by saying that they don't care whether we want the dirty fuel or the clean fuel. I think that's being very generous. I think that, that it's actually uh, we've gotten to a point where it's a game, and one is cheap fuel, and now we can sell you the other stuff and make more money off of you. Uh, oh. I really think that it's not as it's not. I think it's naive to think that they're not making a lot of money on this because there's huge incentives. People want to be green. People want to be do these things. So, you know, you can you can make. I mean, you know, Goldman Sachs is trading uh, in in uh, uh, carbon credits. You know, who's making the money in that shenanigan? I bet you it's Goldman Sachs. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, if you used to sell fossil fuel and now everyone's going to go green, that's great because you're still going to sell them fossil fuel and you get to sell them a whole bunch more stuff to create all of the necessary infrastructure for solar and wind. Yeah, that's... Um, and you can, sell, you can sell green energy on one part of the planet where you may have been subsidized by somebody or maybe it's easier, it is easier to create solar energy in Africa, for example, and turn around and sell the credits to somebody else in a different part of the planet that needs that credit uh, so that they can af- offset the damage that they did. Oh, you know? okay, yeah. I mean, I, I think yeah, that makes we, sense. We, we discussed, like, in the, in the, I think you and I talked about this in the most recent quarter um, of Tesla's uh, earnings, they had uh, $397 million uh, from revenue from uh, carbon credits. So they get that. They can sell those because they're generating an energy-efficient uh, vehicle. But we just found out that it's only energy-efficient if you drive it into the ground. But <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
<laughs> it's such a great it's such a great business model. I mean, <laughs> kudos to Elon Musk. You know, I mean, by the way, who's writing the check for the three hundred and seventy million? The the people that need the credit because they're polluters, so they can advertise. You know that that we're carbon neutral. So so every, anytime you want to offset whatever it is you're doing, you you, you ca- they calculate. You, you got companies, consulting firms now that calculate, go in, they calculate what's your carbon footprint, and then you can go find somebody that. Uh, that, that has a, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, a non-carbon footprint. Okay. <laughs> and buy these credits from them. So, but, so but, Group A is emitting more carbon. Their, fo- their carbon footprint is higher than, but someone's got to be monitoring this than, than the EPA would like him to be or right, whoever, right. right? But then over here, you have seemingly Party B, whose carbon footprint is under average or whatever, and so they can sort of trade credits, if you will. And then, you know, in this scenario, uh, Party B being Tesla, they're paid. This Party A is penalized. They're paying a tax for yeah. what they're emitting. Yeah. Party B is, is the recipient of that tax, even though they're emitting just as much, if not more, in the short term. That's what we just found out, that the car rolls up with a bigger footprint. So, it's so now confusing. it seems like a very weird right? scam. Right, this scam. So is the, environmental, is the environment the priority here? I don't think so. It doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Not, not, and this goes on all up and down the energy uh, infrastructure. Like, you have subsidies to put ethanol into your fuel tank, you know, and, and now these, these, uh, there's very limited supply of, of so you, you actually generate credits that you have to sell, that, that, that Exxon and people that refine this product have to buy. And it, and it keeps getting bid higher and higher and higher because there's a limited supply. So, so it's, just, it's just another way for somebody to make money. But I don't see the connection between that and making the planet cleaner. Yes. I have no problem with people making money. I think probably a good solution to this will involve some ingenuity and, and that will take capitalism to come up with it. But so far, all I see is people making money, not necessarily having the planet in mind. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what the whole film is about yeah. is we thought we were doing all this stuff because it's so great for the planet. As it turns out, it's not. And so now why are we doing it? Yeah. yeah which is kind of to your point. Yeah. And then, and then let's, you know, let's not trash natural gas. Uh, it, it's not a perfect fuel, but it has certainly a lot more, uh, a lot, a lot better for the environment, a lot cleaner than coal and other things that it substituted. So, you know, even though we pulled out of the Paris Accord, we have actually exceeded the benchmark set in the Paris Accord as a country because of the natural gas taking over the fossil, the, the, the coal plants. Mm. So, so we didn't have the, all the costs associated with the Paris Accord, but we still had the benefit of cleaning the environment. So I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that uh, we should be trashing something until we have a better alternative. And that's, I think that's critical because I don't, you know, um, it's not perfect, but there's a difference between a drilling a small hole in the ground and extracting natural gas, then bulldozing mountains and going deep into the earth with heavy equipment to take quartz out and coal out to burn. Yes. So it seems like a, Seems like a cleaner solution. It does. It, by the way, is does natural gas only come from fracking? No, no. Okay, but but, but fracking it enhanced, does. It has enhanced the output tremendously. Fracking has, right? Yeah, 
Absolutely. So, so fra- obviously, fracking has nothing to do with coal. You can't yeah. frack coal. Yeah. But when you, but the fracking technology, which is it, ten years old? I mean, it's oh no, it goes back to the eighties. But oh, it's does just, it? It's just a matter of you know the cost. You know, you can invent something, but the cost is prohibitive. And so it took years for people to get to a point where it can be done efficiently, quickly, and kind of on a competitive basis. Um, but but at the end of the day, um, you know, and you know, a lot of fracking is really for oil, not gas. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying they don't frack for for gas; they do, but it's so cheap right now that it's just not profitable. That's right. You know, so a lot of the gas we're getting from fracking is a secondary product of fracking for liquid fuel okay yep and and yeah i mean i know fracking has like there's some infrastructure needed for that too you know where you have you have some you know you make your well area and you're hauling in gravel for that and you're setting it up like there's not there's still an impact there for sure absolutely but but you're right you have this well that goes down you need water and and then you have retention ponds for this water and and they use a specialized sand that only comes from certain parts of the world to blast through so so it can't be just a a round piece of sand it just you know so so there is there's technology involved i mean it's not like i said it's not a perfect fuel Mm -hmm. but uh but but when you look at what it takes to manufacture a solar panel, it's it's yes. uh, it's very pollute pollution yes. driven. So I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of you can't just put blinders on. See, I see you, I don't see you know, I see no evil. You know, you know, you got to see it for what it is. Yes, you know that that's the only way to really solve a problem. I, I always thought we're supposed to have like a scientific approach to do solving problems. It's like go in with a clear mind. And and now we see just people wanted to. You know, just say, oh, everybody, oh, my God, you're a denial? You're a, you know, science, what is it? What's the word that they use? Uh, no science. Uh, no, the, uh, uh, you are a, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forget. But it's something to do with being a denier, science denier. You know, it's like you're denying the fact that the energy, the planet is warming. Yes. Yeah, I'm, sure I'm curious what that term is. Yeah. Are you? Is it global like a, warming something denier? Or, okay. Or, uh, anyway, so, so this this yeah. goes into the discussion about uh, Al Gore saying that ninety seven percent, both I think Al Gore and I think President Obama said that ninety seven percent of scientists uh, agree that you know global warming is a problem and it is man made. You know, and it turns out now that they go back and f- to find these scientists, it's very hard to come up with a 97% number. Yes. And some of these scientists are not interested in laying blame. They're interested in research, you know. And so, so, so now we're, we're ma- managing uh, science so we can win an argument, so we can drive society in a certain direction, yes. which we don't even know where the facts are yet. Yes. You know, it, it, it's... Uh, and there's another uh, another uh, topic that's worth discussing. It's a, uh, uh, in this whole kind of like it's unanimous in the scientific community. There's not much unanimous in the scientific community. Yes, um, we do know the world, the globe has been warming for a few hundred years. Uh, some of it may be man-made. Uh, we don't know if it's reversible. Seems like about thirty percent or so of scientists believe it's mostly man-made and reversible, and and the rest are somewhere in between. Oh wow! I don't know. So um, I, again, I'm not an expert on this. I think it's worth discussing because you, you see the the uh, 
the the assumption in in the, out there is that there's only one solution, and that's, that's right. To, you know, uh, get rid of my Mercedes and drive your Tesla. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, but I'll trade you. Um, <laughs> since Not since I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, although although I have to say I have to say. Uh, it, it does bother me, you know, as a as a internal combustion person that grew up and you know, you know, wanting to own a V8 or a Mustang or whatever. It really saddens me to see that these electric cars are just blowing away everything that's internal combustion. So, yeah. So it's sad, you know. You mean like blown away, as in like speed? Yeah. Off faster, the line speed. Yeah. Lighter. Well, you're never going to be able to beat it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's crazy. internal combustion can't. You can't compete with that because electricity is so torquey. Like I don't know how you're ever going to beat an electric car with yeah. a gas engine. Yeah, I don't know. You I know, just, I just remember my electric cars. When I was a little kid, and I used to be able to hold them with my finger, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were very torquey. Well, Tesla's working on a what happened? Te- Tesla's working on a roaster that um, is going to use ro- some rocket compulsion to get off the line even oh quicker. I, it's so, so quick. Like, because, you know, even if you have something be all-wheel drive, and let's say it has the biggest battery imaginable, and it's super torquey and super powerful, and, 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 and you can get off the line as quick as you want, there's still the reality of four wheels in the ground, and at some point, those wheels are going to spin if you have so much torque on them. So, you know, obviously, they know that at Tesla, and so they're thinking, well, how can we still make it quicker than the wheels <laughs> will allow us? Well, the one way you can do that is to have a little bit of rocket propulsion assistance, and that'll get you off the line even quicker. <laughs> what is clean, cool, though? I don't understand that, because that's talked a lot about this last year. What's the difference between clean, coal and what, dirty, coal or whatever? Like, what's, what's clean, coal? So, I, I don't know. It, may, it depends what you're referring to. So, there, there are some coal. There's coal that... Uh, creates more pollution. That's primarily what's in Kentucky, and I'm I'm not an expert on it. I don't know the you know. And then there's there's that aspect of it. Not all coal is equal. Uh, some gets more needs more processing. But then the other side of that um, is you do have plants that burn burn cleaner, and that they have systems designed to carbon capture uh, or okay. clean the air before it's spewed back out. So that I think that might be what's called. Clean coal is more about the plant and how the plant works. Yeah, and and okay. the inputs matter because some coal has you know diff- just like steel, it has different ingredients I in see. it, and so it could be dirtier. But I think specifically what you're asking about is about the plant and capturing the carbon emissions and so on. And I mean, there are ways that now that they can actually capture the exhaust, the final dirty exhaust, and actually pump it back underground, and that's considered carbon capture. Yes. So. Yeah, which is an interesting. But, but what's wild about this is, is you know, th- we have to look at this problem as a planet, you know. And while we're sitting here, you know, shutting down this and doing this and doing that, you know, China is building coal plants by the dozens every year. So it's like, what's what's this point? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not a global solution, what exactly? What are we doing? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Wouldn't they say, well, everyone just needs to do their part and. We can do our part, and eventually we'll get around to China. Like, is that what they would say? I mean, because the people I mean, in power would know this is a global thing, right? But I mean, math would suggest that if I'm, I'm doing a little bit less and they're doing a lot more, I haven't made any progress. Right. Am, I, am I too slow for this situation or what? Yeah. No, I, <laughs> no, I think it's, it's just I'm trying to, like, argue from what, what's their reasoning. And I don't know much about the Paris Accord. Well, but I mean, I think, I think what it looks like to me is that... They have control over 
policy here and they don't in China. Yeah. I mean, it's just that yeah. simple. Yeah. So then you put ch- policy in place here because you have control, but it comes at an expense and we, the taxpayers and so forth, are paying for And the Paris Accord that. tries to increase that reach, take the control here and increase that reach by creating subsidies to incentivize other people to do better. Mm-hmm. So in other words, we would end up paying more for our energy so that someone else can build a cleaner, clean energy plant somewhere else so that they can then build a factory to build things cheaper than we can so that we lose our jobs mm-hmm. and buy it from them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It so all makes sense to me. The... What's your take on this? Is Friday the thir- is it the thirteenth? Oh, it is Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, oh, welcome. Hopefully, nothing goes Wasn't wrong it here. Like, what, how, <laughs> how many Friday the thirteenths are there? Wasn't it like the thirteenth last time I was here? I, it might have been. There's a, there's a I, they they come around a lot. I don't know if it was when you were on, but it was funny because when I was scheduling, you know, this day, it was like you know texting someone like Friday the thirteenth, and I was like, oh. Then I, I think forgot you're asking if now. I'm okay with that. Like, yeah, I I'm did, gonna yeah. Fall, like, I'm going to fall down the steps or something. No, can I hide at home? <laughs> well, I'm good with proceeding if you are. <laughs> um, so it's Friday the 13th. It looks likely that Biden's the next president. Would you say that's a 99% certainty or 80% certainty? Where do you kind of fall there? I think it's much higher than 80. Okay. I, mean, I don't know what it is. But, but somewhere between 80 and 100. Yeah. Uh, not much hope for Trump at this point. You would agree with that? I mean, unless there's, they find some systemic fraud uh, on a scale, um, I, you know, I, you know, it's very difficult to, to tell you know, who, who's t- saying what anymore. I haven't seen anything that uh, uh, there, there, um, there appears to be people who vote that are dead, but that happens all the time, mm-hmm. so I don't know. You know, cats vote. I mean, yeah, yeah. This, this is... Can cats vote? Can my cats vote? Absolutely. There's been <laughs> cats that have voted. Wow. Uh, probably even dev, dead cats that have voted. But um, okay. but but you're right. That, I'm not necessarily saying that for this election. Some people are making claims that... that uh, some people are making claims that there was a systemic effort to go after people that moved out of a jurisdiction to vote on their behalf. That could be really interesting if there's any truth to that because there could be some big numbers there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I see this as a positive uh, because... Aren't you, aren't you curious if, like, you know, see, see, I work for Metro, and I know some of the people involved in the election commission and all that, and they're very dedicated people, and, you know, they take this stuff seriously. Believe yep. it or not, they want democracy to work, you know? But I always wonder about Philadelphia and Detroit. I mean, you, you hear the history, yeah. so, you know? Yeah, but let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> what a way to find out. Is it really, you know, solid? If it's solid, it stays up in court. Then my faith in the electoral, electoral system would, would, uh, would increase substantially. So I, I see a positive in this. So, uh, so assuming Biden's president, what do you see coming on the green policy front? So, you know, look, I'm not an expert in the area, in the area but I, I do think that there are some things he can do by executive order, just like Obama did and then Trump reversed. Um, such as what you go in and out of the Paris Accord, um, and then there's you know other things like what 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 federal lands what's allowed on federal lands. So there there's a lot of room for that. And then when you run the executive branch of the government, you have uh, power over setting you know gasoline emissions and clean air. So there's a lot you can do. Um, so you know it'd be interesting to see how far he goes. Um, 
I think that um, I think that the political politicians underestimate uh, the effect of these things on people, and as we saw with the yellow vest movement in Paris, uh, which was triggered by an increase on the gasoline uh, tax uh, uh, in 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 Paris, it affected people that are working class people, not the rich, not the people that are benefiting from all the wonderful stock market going up, uh, but people have to get to work every day and, and balance the budget at the end of the, uh, end of the month. And I think that uh, that populist movement uh, and that, that Trump benefited from, um, he didn't create. He's not that smart. Uh, I think it was just there and he captured it. Uh, but he was smart enough to kind of see it, read the le tea leaves, so to speak, just mm -hmm. like Ronald Reagan did. Let's see where the direction of moving from a, uh, a heavy reliance on uh, government oversight and regulation to free market. You know, he saw that because we kind of had had reached a point, a tipping point, and I think that you know Trump benefited from a tipping point. So uh, people, I think, start to understand now how their job is affected by these regulations, and while it's I want consumer-friendly policies, and I want um, Wells Fargo and all these other banks to have consumer-friendly policies and whatever. You apply it across our, all industries, and it has a dampening effect on productivity and profitability and job creation. And companies are already in a mode of cutting expenses to make more money off the same amount of sales. That's been going on for years, or low growth, right? Especially, especially in, in traditional industries and, and traditional economies, old type old school businesses and so on. So, so uh, it's gonna be very challenging uh, to, to have a robust job market and increased in wages and so on if we're also you know, so we'll see. I mean, I, if we're also regulating heavier and taxing heavier, tax heavier and regulate heavier, and and then you increase the any time you have to comply with the law, it's costing you something. There's yeah. more regulation, so you tend to export things because if somebody else lets me pollute, why am I going to worry about it? And half the time, it's not even the company doing it. I can just outsource it. Have somebody else make it. I don't know how it's being made. Just bring it to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, does does Apple really pay attention to what's going on in some of their factories? I mean, we've seen some of the stories. Yep. Uh, you know, so uh, you know. Okay, so then I want to I want to hear more about global trade. This is something, and and even let's get into relations with China. Although the topics can be separate, we were talking about this. Oh, I don't know. It's several Saturdays back now, right? My wife was out of town. You were over at the campfire. Yeah. Um. So global trade. A country that sends goods out, of course, that's exporting. When you bring goods into your country, that's importing. Countries may want to be in, um, involved in this if, for example, you know, we're making wine efficiently here in America, but our sweaters are not so efficient. But another country, I don't know what other country would make sweaters, let's just say Brazil, you know, they make sweaters super efficiently, but wine maybe not so much. And so we want to just be like the wine guy, and they're the sweater guy, and we trade, and that's just better for everybody because we can make it more efficiently here. 
they can make sweaters more fit. Now we're trading. Like that's why you would do global trade. Yeah, I mean, I think that's about specialization. Uh, works when neighbors next to each other specialize. You know, uh, I make milk. You make cheese. I buy the milk from you. I make the cheese. So like, you can specialize in making milk. I specialize in making the cheese or whatever. Or I could be making. Uh, uh, I could be growing cows while you're growing something else. It works the same way with countries, and sometimes, um, uh, you know, geography and resources dictate certain strengths and weaknesses, even the finance. So, for example, it doesn't make sense for uh, farmers in, in northern England to try to make wine to sell to southern France and for the, the southern France to uh, try to, you know, raise sheep for wool yes. and sell it to Northern England where it's abundant, abundant sheep. So, so you specialize in what you're good at and you import what you're not. Uh, that's how it's supposed to work. And um, first of all, again, back up a second. Globalization and trade are very good for all humans. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, it's really bought standard of living uh, any country that's involved in trade and what have you. I mean, even countries that are not known to be capitalists, whatever, you know, exporting oil out of Saudi Arabia changed the lives of, of, of Arab countries, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, uh, exporting uh, out of China uh, has uplifted the lives of many Chinese. Uh, there are, uh, you know, there, there's about a billion Chinese, but, you know, 300 million of them are Roughly about the same number of American people live lives like you and I. They're they're mil considered middle class to upper class. I mean, they're they're really there. There is a three hundred million Americans, sorry, Chinese in China are living very similar lives to the three hundred million Americans living in America. But they have six hundred million are still, you know, uh, well below, you know, the, the 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 poverty line. Not we have that problem too, but it's it's not a, as big a percentage. Mm -hmm. So, so exporting brings up everybody. You have productivity. Uh, uh, so you have efficiency, and then people get paid, so then they can afford to buy things. And they start to buy toothpaste and toothbrush, and they start buying you know, more prepared food and so on and so forth. And then next thing you know, they're consuming uh, cars and so on and so forth, and it just goes on and on. So uh, consumption grows, and therefore you know, more demand grows and so on and so forth. That's how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and essentially, you only need two things for this. Uh, you need uh, capital and labor. And you take the capital, and how do you get capital? Capital is saved. So somebody's saving somebody's capital, and you apply it to labor by educating it and building factories and training it, and you have output. And that's basically how you create GDP. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, so the the problem that we have today um, is that for about two three hundred years prior to about nineteen fifty, the problem that existed throughout the world was actually shortage. Right, you had shortages of everything. You've heard famines. You've heard. I mean, the Bolshevik Revolution was about the government taking land from the farmer. You go everywhere. Socialism is essentially basically about taking everything and and putting it in the hands of a central control, so that so that the central power can control the production and who gets the wheat and who gets the grain and so on and so forth. So we had we had a we had a history 
uh, uh, roughly 300 years, 250 years of shortages. Um, and then all of a sudden, that just completely changed. So we have the opposite problem. We have everything in multitude. And that's both capital and production. We have more capital than we know what to do with. That's why capital assets keep getting uh, invested up. And, and you know, Chinese are saving, Americans are saving, investments are going up. And so we have plenty of capital and we have plenty of productivity. So wait a minute, you know, so one of the arguments you hear out there is if they just invest more and we'll have more, you know, but you, in order to invest, you have to have a consumer. And right now the problem facing the world is consumption. We are able to produce more than we can consume. Hmm. And so that, what does that mean? So this problem, even though it started in 1950, really became very clear in the 1970s and because we just didn't have enough uh, demand for what we were doing to continue to grow. So uh, we, we started to lever the economy so people can consume more than they can afford, so borrow from future demand to spend today, which kind of creates a, I mean, there's only so much you can do with that, but apparently we can keep going. You know, I don't know when it ends, but... Yeah. Um, and, then, and then countries around the world started to rely on export as a way to solve this problem. And um, this works out really well if you're an exporter, like Germany, for example. Since 1999, this has worked out really well for Germany. Cheap currency... Uh, once they entered the EU, the Deutsche Mark strength was gone, so they had cheap currency, so they could continue to export, and their currency stayed poor. See, in, in, in the real world, if it was you and I trading, and you had your currency and I had my currency, and you specialized in X and I specialized in Z, and we traded, um, if you were beating me at trade, meaning that I am buying from you more, then you are selling to me, which essentially means I am, bar I am borrowing money. It, my banks are creating debt, or somehow, in order to balance my books, I'm borrowing, okay? So if that's the case, then what would happen is your currency value would go up, and my currency would go down. If, let me, let me just pause you for one second. If <clears throat> you and I are different countries, and I'm selling you more than I'm buying from you, if I'm selling you more than I'm buying from you, my currency is going to go up? In value. In value, and yours is going to go down. Because yeah. you're accumulating my money, and I'm having to go borrow more. Yes, I see. Okay. Okay. And so this is how it's supposed to work. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, people say, oh, it's a free system. It's not a free system. It, Countries are controlling their currency. So by Germany, for example, entering that the, mic a close to you. by Germany entering the EU, uh, they were able to keep their currency cheaper than it would be otherwise. Okay, so they can continue to sell their product, right? Mm. Same way with with China. China um, can keep be, keep its currency low. They manage their currency so that they can continue to sell at cheap prices, at some point, we're, it's supposed to reverse. But that doesn't happen uh, when you're controlling the, the, the currency valuation. Now, there's other reasons it doesn't happen, which is that, of course, their standard of living is also, we have, they have a lot more to go. That, that, that's another factor. Um, another factor that's, that, that affects it, too, is that they, they, have, they make investments for the sole purpose of 
creating jobs, which essentially means displacing jobs from the West to their country so that they can feed their one billion people. They, they still need to have more jobs. They have people moving from the, from the, uh, uh, from the countryside to the cities uh, seeking jobs. So, so this creates a lot of imbalances, and people suffer from it. This is understood. It's not a secret. It's not a theory. It's not being debated. Uh, you have winners and losers in this. And um, even the most pro-free uh, uh, traders will tell you that you have winners and losers, and you, know, you have to kind of see how you're going to solve these problems. And, and uh, typically, you know, they, they throw things around like job retraining and whatever, you know, whatever, what have you. Um, but ultimately, um, after years of globalization and uh, trade, um, the, people, the people have figured it out and try, starting to push back, okay? And uh, this has kind of, I think, surprised the political parties in, 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 throughout the Western world because they were sort of trying to argue for free trade or so-called globalization. Uh, but it was hurting a lot of people from financially. Uh, uh, Americans are saving a lot of money, but it's the rich that are saving it and they're accumulating investment assets. But the the average uh, household is not really making much more money than they did in the seventies in real terms when you adjust for inflation. So it's a it's a so 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 this can't go on forever and people woke up to it and you had a you had kind of a so now the problem is what's the solution the solution diagnosing the problem is much easier than actually applying a solution because uh protectionism is not in itself a solution because you know if you apply protectionism as your strategy to deal with it um eventually you become uncompetitive with your own product yes Okay, so that doesn't work. Um, uh, so, uh, so trading partners is is, an, is one way that could possibly solve that. So we've we've sort of uh, doubled down on the North American free trade uh, thing, and and possibly they were looking at some others with uh, with Eastern um, some some Asian countries, but but it's a challenge because. Um, uh, there's no inflation. I mean, if really, if you look around, the only areas that you're actually experiencing inflation in the United States are things that the government subsidized or the government controls the supply of, like education, housing. Those are two areas that, you know, healthcare. All three are going up, experiencing inflation. Everything else doesn't, is not. Hmm. You don't see inflation everywhere. You see quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it, I don't know what the, the solutions are, but, um, but what has to happen, whatever the, the solution is, I don't know, but the end result has to be that more people have higher wages so that less is being saved by the few and more is being consumed. Yeah. Because the people that make 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200,000 a year they consume most of their money. They spend it. People that make 10 times that don't consume much more, you know, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. so, so we need more consumption, okay? 
But then, wait a minute, we're supposed to be trying to save the planet. How are we going to have more consumption if we're going to save the planet? Yeah. So you got these conundrums going on. Well, isn't that when you go, tr- you go find an emerging market in some third world country and start selling to them? Well, I mean, they don't consume that much, and especially not the more expensive products. So what, what, uh, what has happened is uh, 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 China has found the United States. <laughs> they want right. to sell to them. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the, the Fords of the world have to compete, so they, they, they outsource some product and make some product here. And, you know, you have, but uh, I think in long term, uh, what you're saying, I think, would hopefully be the goal, and that Africa would be a great growing continent with middle class, and they would consume. But again, we just went through that with China, and they're not consuming anywhere near what they're selling. So as long, so it's not a matter of degree, you know. As long as you are selling me more stuff and not consuming my stuff, we have a problem, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and eventually, we're gonna somebody's gonna say, "Wait a minute, this is not a fair game, and we're gonna end it." And that's, I think, what the world is getting to. But there's a lot of uh, relationships that rely on this trade. So you have Germany is really, uh, uh, really it does a lot of exporting to China. So they don't want to stand up to China. So they weren't gonna back the United States in some kind of a. You know, then you have other countries that couldn't care less, so they want to stand up to China because they 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 feel like they're being bullied, and um, and you have other countries that stand to benefit if the if the United States doesn't trade with China, they will trade with them. So so you have all these geopolitics going around it, but at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, education has gotten prohibitively expensive to Americans. Housing is an issue uh, for many people. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I could afford to live where I live if I had to buy my house today in Nashville. I'd have to live outside the county, I think, or be live in a much smaller place. Mm-hmm. And I bought my house just just less than twenty years ago. Less than twenty years ago, mm-hmm. you know. So can you imagine what it's like to the average Nashvilleian to find housing? It's, it's, yeah, you know, and and even in this environment, you yep. know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so, so it, it's challenging. So, you have education, you have housing, healthcare has become a big issue because, quite frankly, uh, healthcare is a is is a simple issue in America. It costs six thousand dollars roughly per person per year to ha- to have good healthcare insurance. And if you have that kind of policy, it doesn't go up a lot in price every year. The insurance company negotiates rates and so on and so forth. So. The problem is, is you know, to have a, to be able to afford a six thousand dollar policy, you need to be making. I mean, even if you're making twenty four thousand, that's that's a very high percentage. Yeah, you know, you can't afford work. that. Yeah. And, uh, can you imagine how much you have to make then if you have three kids? Yep. Dear God. Yep. You know, <laughs> I mean that that's just uh, you know. So so it's it's very challenging, and and so w- w- the politicians have are making promises and these grandiose things like as if it's going to appear magically but what we're really talking about is do we pay for it through deficit spending you know go in the hole to pay for your it's generally not a good idea to pay for things that don't have that that you're going to consume with dollars 10 years from now it's not it's not a bad idea to buy a house that you're going to live in that's going to appreciate in value that's a good asset to to do that but when, when you pay a doctor for a procedure and the procedure is done, it's worthless. There's no value for it anymore. Yep. 
You know, so are we going to really do deficit spending to pay for that? Doesn't seem like a wise decision, mm. you know. But then, you know, everybody wants to make promises and so on. But maybe the the real problem is the jobs that would come with a de decent insurance that you only have to pay 20, 30 percent of, and your employer would pay 75 or so percent, whatever. And it's affordable because you're making good money. Yes. Yeah. Back to nation um a if i'm selling to you yeah. and i'm selling you more yeah. now i have a trade surplus correct i'm selling you more i have a trade surplus that's great for me my currency is going to go up all things being equal yes. all things being equal you have a trade deficit this is bad for you you're buying from me more than you're selling to me so now you have a trade deficit your currency is going to go down all things being equal wouldn't i have another country that I am also trading with, but I have a trade deficit with them. And that sort of balances out my surplus with you. And likewise, wouldn't you have another country, at least attempt to have another country that you have a trade surplus with that balances out your deficit with me? Yes, that, that that's very true. But in our example, it was just the two of us. Yeah. Okay. And so, so, but you, we can have 10 people around this table. Okay. But that does not mean that all, after we all get done, that there aren't winners and losers. Right. So the, still the same example applies, you yes. know? And not all trade is equal, too, because some trade is higher margin, supports higher-paying jobs. You know, some trade is low margin. So, so there is a... So, so I, I, I promise when we started this that we, we don't want to trash global trade yep. and so on. And, and you know, uh, you and I and, and Apple, okay, benefit a lot from the labor that China is in the factories, China finances to make our cell phones. Okay. Cause we're able to, to uh, use something that costs would, would be prohibitive to own. Otherwise that's one. Okay. Two, it opens up the opportunity for all kinds of other enterprise that wouldn't even have a chance to reach you and I, if that phone didn't exact, it didn't exist. Okay, and three, Apple wouldn't make anywhere near the profits, wouldn't even make the phone because there wouldn't be enough demand. So you have a lot of jobs in America that are supported by Apple, by all the, the and by the way, I don't have an Apple phone. It doesn't matter what phone it is. It's yep. a, whole ecosystem is being supported by this right all the app development all that's you know it, it's massive industry the facebook's of the world the developers of software this is all made possible through specialization and it was accelerated by the fact that chinese were willing to dump billions of dollars that that they got from selling you know gadgets to the west to create jobs for their people they pay them very little money and but they can make things like this and silicon valley engineers make a lot more money and then we turn around and start sell stuff and hey how do people consume your product can mm -hmm. right yeah so would you be consumed if it was not the case for no you no. wouldn't even be consumed yeah right? you'd, you'd be on a radio radio yeah. program somewhere right yeah you're like talking to like 500 people in greenville south carolina yeah <laughs> Hey, we can have billboards finally. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's that so, trickle so, effect. So there, big is time. A, there is a huge uh, benefit to all of this in mm -hmm. productivity, and, and, and uh, uh, but but it does leave people behind, and mm -hmm. it, there are consequences, and the consequences are being felt. And um, the the bottom line is, you have a lot of the 
the benefit of all of this is being accumulated and saved in financial assets. Okay, so stocks go up, you know, you know and it's people that own stocks are not the enemy. That's actually, those are the investors that are much needed to create the job tomorrow. So the, the point, though, is, is that you're not paying the wages. Now, why don't you pay the wages? Well, because you don't need to. You don't have sufficient demand to pay the wages. This isn't like a, somebody's against the little guy or somebody is rigging this thing, you know. It's the reality. It's the reality is we have un, insufficient demand. And everybody's trying to live off what little demand there is, and we have plenty of capital to invest. So, you know, by the way, I don't, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not a social engineer. I'm not out with like a, you know, uh, agenda here. I'm, personally, I'm interested in it, but my real interest in this is the investment implications because that's what I do. How does this affect the investments am I making? Is this going to be a disaster down the road, or is this going to this investment going to benefit from this? For example, you take a mature company like Kraft, okay, which I, I, I don't know if you're aware, but Kraft is, was part of a merger uh, that that Warren Buffett was involved in, Kraft Heinz. Yes. And so what is that all about? You know. So essentially, you have mature businesses, right? They're being attacked from everywhere with cheaper product. I mean, how 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 many how how innovative can you be with with dish soap? For God's sake! I mean, at the end of the day, it's dish soap. You know, you can make it nice for your hands and all of this stuff. It's still dish soap, you know. And they've got their market share. They're doing all. This. So what? You have mature business, and so. What what uh, what you have what they do is they buy these things so they can cut costs, rationalize away some of the brands, so they have something that's more profitable, uh, that you, uh, that needs less capital, so it's more capital efficient, more profits, even if it means shutting off some sales, you know. And but hopefully because of the bigger size, you 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 actually you know can shed more costs and therefore make more money. You know, that's fine. You know. Um, but that's a typical example of a mature business that does not have this wind at its back, or excuse me, mm -hmm. the wind in its sails, okay? As opposed to what we like to invest in, which is disruptive technologies that are going to come in and invent a way to do banking that's going to keep you from walking into Wells Fargo. So that, that's, that's, what, that's a new technology, new, new idea that solves a problem for you that maybe gets you money faster to your phone. You don't have to utilize, you know, use the bank and so on and so forth. And that's just a, like a small example. But you have industries that will flourish and you have industries that are mature. Now, you can still make money with mature businesses. Mm -hmm. You just have to run them with that idea. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we want to lend money, too. We, we like bonds, too. And so we want to know what kind of companies do we lend to? Do we really understand what's going to happen to Kraft Heinz? Is this really a good bond, you know, as opposed to somebody else? So, mm -hmm. so, those are, so I look at it from an investment implications, but I, I enjoy it. So, I, you know, uh, obviously I have opinions. But I don't know if they're worth anything. But yeah. at the end of the day, I'm just looking for the investment thesis and how it affects our investment. Yeah. So to, to put that really simply, if you had a, what looked like a really great management team working a really good idea, but this is a new idea and it's a bit of disruptive, you're going to, you I mean, there's lots of factors here, but you're going to, you're going to be a, maybe a little bit more optimistic on that 
than you would be on an established company that's looking for an investment because they're going to cut costs to be more profitable. You're seeing this as a better long-term play, better return on your investment long-term than just a quick turnaround here, but maybe long-term that's not, you can only cut costs so much. Yeah. I, I, like, to, I like to say that the reason we consume information is to paint a realistic picture of the future, right? We may not know the future, but we, we constantly read the paper. So, so I want to paint a realistic picture of the business outlook and the future environment for this company and that company yes. and make the choices based on that. All right, so uh, NAFTA. Yeah. So UMCA, is that what it is? Yeah, I U think so. U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, USMCA. Came on board. I didn't realize it, but like it fully came on board July one of twenty twenty. So it was structured before. I think it was signed in law in twenty nineteen or something like that. I didn't know that. But really came on board July one twenty twenty. This is what I just read, and which was surprising to me because I didn't ever know that there was so much going on. I think that got no attention. But apparently, NAFTA was not good at some things that USMCA, the new agreement, was better at. Do you know much about this? Can you talk us through that? Well, the so, other thing so that I, I can tell you some of the things. Yeah. The other thing that I saw in that article was that, and I didn't know this. This was a surprise to me. We trade four times as much with our North American neighbors as we do with China. I just thought we were trading so much more with China than pretty much yeah. everybody else, yeah. but apparently that's not the case. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so th there are some obvious things you can point out that with the North, North American Free Trade Agreement happened, what, in the 80s, I think, the 90s, the early 90s? I, I feel like uh, it was the 80s. but Yeah, so um, it, it specifies, for example, what percentage of the parts have to come from within a zone to be exempt from certain taxes and so on, right, tariffs. And the, the obvious thing that was obsolete about it is that the components in cars actually change over time, you know? Uh, there are components in a Tesla that didn't even exist yeah. and go into a car prior to you know, back in 1990. There are components in my car that didn't exist. I mean, we didn't have airbags. I don't remember airbags until... Like 20 years ago. I don't remember before that. And you have all the sensors that go on LCD screens. You didn't have that either. So, so those things just didn't count as parts. You know? so, so you had that issue and so on. So, so ultimately what NAFTA is about, if you want it from a big picture standpoint, it's really managed trade. And um, you know, the, 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 actually, interestingly enough, uh, Jimmy Carter um, under his administration, came up with this idea where, because, you know, in the 70s, the, the automobile industry in the United States was decimated, okay, because cost of fuel and the inefficient, unreliable cars, it was a disaster, and the Japanese were doing really well. So, so the, the, under the car administration, they came up with this uh, idea that to, to pass a law where based on the local content of, of the car, you could actually uh, bypass tariffs. So, it, so in other words, to, to, the, to the Japanese manufacturer, if you assemble a car here, make some of the components, it was 60%, I believe, was the magic number. Don't quote me on that. 
So, and actually, the, the famous story that I was told when I first came to Tennessee is it was Lamar Alexander took this uh, legislation and went to uh, 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 Japan and met with auto executives in Japan. And basically, you know, they told him, look, if you put a plant in Tennessee, you don't have to pay for this, you don't have to pay for that. He said, well, we know that. But why would we put it in Tennessee? And famously, he drew a circle around Tennessee that was 500 miles circumference, and that included so much of the population of the United States. And, and boom, you had a car industry evolve just south of here, right? And then that brought more manufacturing and more manufacturing. And next thing you know, like, I mean, uh, Toyota Tundra is made in the U.S., yep. you know? They won't let you forget that in a commercial, right? So, uh, <laughs> no, uh, they don't. No. Uh, 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 so, so, and that, 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 by the way, is interesting now. You, you see, you see so much, you know, Ford talking about that. So I remember that back in the '80s, that used to be a thing. Walmart used to advertise that you know, made in America, you know, and all of a sudden they stopped that shit because <laughs> they weren't made in America anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know? they couldn't afford to buy stuff from America. So, so, so now you're seeing that again, and mm. that. That, that, those kinds of uh, 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 those kinds of movements don't just disappear overnight, you know. And the politicians will cater to that. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see what happens and how corporate America takes. How I mean, they're going to try to do the same thing they did to the energy industry, right? They're mm, going right. to try to play both sides. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do what. By the way, I don't really know much about where kind of a free trade or kind of a laissez-faire kind of economy, like kind of that um, viewpoint yeah. versus more protectionism. Like, do parties, Republican, Democrat, fall fall cleanly on each line, or is that just a mix when you get to this point here? No, it's it, it, they may say we're for free trade. Somebody may say that, but there's no such thing as free trade. We live in a managed trade economy. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, stories are endless about. I mean, try try to try to uh, import a pillow into France. I mean, there's regulations upon regulation. But mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, livestock into France is very prohibited because you have to go through so much certification to prove that you didn't use chemicals and this and that and the other. But but in a sense, it, the small farmer could never meet that standard because he would have to have so much investment so they that's protectionism they're protecting their farmer mm. same way with the japanese protect the rice the rice farmer so um uh, you know we've been protecting truck manufacturing in the united states for many years you know that's the reason why you don't see a lot of trucks made overseas because there's actually a tariff a big tariff on trucks um even 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 the small cars that uh, that like come from uh, South Korea the Hyundai's and all that they they pay a substantial sum in mm -hmm. uh, in tariffs it's just kind of understood you know so there is no free trade uh, uh we live in managed economies it's just uh, it's just that not everything is so important that it has to be regulated but there's a lot of jobs around cars and let's let's face it if you want the truth to be told in the past and up to now, we've had our ass handed to us in manufacturing. It's because of cars, nothing else. I mean, it's all that matters is cars. You know, it's the cars that are the big driver here, you know. Um, 
This is why the politicians are always talking about car manufacturing yeah. all the time. Yeah, okay. but now, but but see, that's yesterday's problem. And I'm not saying you can't look at yesterday's problem, but tomorrow's problem is is really the one they need to wake up to, which is that you know, our, our is our education system preparing people for tomorrow's jobs? You know, do they have the technical skill? You know, we're, we're spending. You know, we're our kids are getting behind, further and further behind. And what we need to be doing, we need to be starting them in school at a younger age so that the disadvantaged kids have more, more of an opportunity to learn at an early age so they don't get to first grade and they don't know anything and nobody socialized with them. Mm -hmm. we, the government has certain things that they can do that families and individuals can't on their own. Okay. Now, look, not all families are the same, Kent. I'm sure you spend a lot of time. I've seen you with your kids. They, they participate in your life. I've seen them watch you work out. You tell them what you're going to do. Not everybody's like that. And if we're going to bring our society up, we've got to bring everybody up. And so, so we need to start thinking about things like that. But it seems to me that the politicians just want to make promises and they don't want to solve problems or be held accountable to solving certain problems. They've gotten masters at freebies you know what can you get well what can i what i'm gonna make this i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that and then you look four years later how how much of it has happened yeah you know and is my life really improved because of you or is it more improved if you just got out of the way it's, it's yes exactly know? and uh when you say car manufacturing is really what we're talking about when we had our ass handed to us in manufacturing is that just because the people it takes, the labor it takes to manufacture the cars based on demand being so high. It's such a huge chunk of manufacturing in America. It's good jobs. Is that why? Yeah, it's good, it's good jobs, jobs. And you would consume so many parts. Okay. And, and let's face it, besides your house, okay, what are the big ticket items in your life? Yeah. Your car, right? Yeah. Now, your house can't be made in China. I mean, they're trying, but it's kind of hard to execute. Okay? You can't make right. your house in Germany. But the car is very mobile by definition, so it becomes a very competitive product. Has a lot of technology, okay. big sticker price. Uh, some of us drive expensive ones. Some of us drive clean, clean energy ones. Some of us drive whatever. Some of us drive multiple ones. You know, so so it's a it's a huge industry, and and not to not to forget the not just the personal consumption, but the commercial use of vehicles is huge as well. And, and so uh, that's, that's definitely a, a 20th century uh, innovation uh, that's carried into the 21st century, and it's going to continue to matter, but then there's a lot of other things that matter. The apps matter, all these things that, that people have to develop and, and so on, the, the future jobs. And um, I'm afraid that we're leaving more people behind there because. Um, a lot of our, you know, families that are not middle class or, or or what have you are don't have the exposure. Their kids don't have the exposure to technology as do people that have the internet at home and kids mm -hmm. that get you know savvy at it. But even still, I mean, surfing the internet is not being technologically savvy. You got to learn right. the, the how to use it as a tool, and you know, so on and so forth. So it takes scientists, it takes developers, it takes technicians, all kinds of things. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think that you know, look, government is is rarely the solution, but sometimes they can 
they can plan on the future by seeing the the whatever. But we we kind of avoid uh, solving problems and uh, playing politics. Yeah, most certainly. So when you look at what's going well in America right now as it relates to global trade, if we could, as much as possible, set China aside for a second. Outside of China, what's going well with our global trade right now and what's not going so well? Is anything come to mind with countries that we sort of have a, we kind of have the better end of the deal and then yeah. other countries that come to mind where we really don't have the, well, the I better mean, end of the deal? earlier, we, you know, we trade quite a bit with Mexico and, uh, and Canada. And our Canada trade has a lot to do with us importing energy and it's possible that actually we're getting a better end of the deal with that relationship because energy is not a high additive product. In other words, it's just a commodity where some of the stuff they import from us are actually consulting consultants and technology and software and things like that. So I think we win there. So certainly we're winners in software. Um, we we uh, uh, we are we. You know, one of our products, unfortunately, doesn't go down as an export, but is, is our uh, university system. Our education is our, one of our biggest exports. It doesn't go down in the statistics of export because it occurs in, on our soil. Right. It doesn't like, yep. when, when you leave the country, they don't say, four-year degree, leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Six-year degree, leaving. Yeah. They don't do that. So, uh, uh, but, but there is, there is a, there's a lot of that. We, we, we continue to innovate and Look, uh, nobody has been able to replicate uh, the venture capital industry in, in California. You know, as, as everybody's trying, okay? You know, non-existent in most of the world. Europe doesn't really have venture capital. The only private investments in Europe are buyouts. I mean, there's some venture capital, mm. but, you know, very, very little. Um, most of the venture capital, as far as I can tell, in China is just a copying of our venture capital. So we do Amazon, somebody does Alibaba. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, because we're not allowing Amazon there, so they do it. So it's, it's not really, it's not really. Uh, however, um, you can't take it for granted because that's how the Japanese started. Japanese started making useless things and gadgets and toys, and now they make some of the best cars in the world and uh, some of the best watches, I think, in the world, some of the best, a lot of things in the world. Uh, uh, the, the problem they have is they, have, they don't have a growing population and they're an island, so they have to import all raw materials. Um, and they're a closed society, so there, there's a limit to that. So, um, and you know what? We, we also import some of the best minds throughout the world. We're talking about exports. Man, people with, people with energy drive and an idea, they want to come to America. That is huge. That is huge. I hope we never lose. Mm-hmm. You know? I hope we never lose. Um, so, so, so uh, we are we consume more than we produce, but that's okay. It's because of our standard of living. Okay, that's not that's we don't have to run a because of our standard of living. We don't need to be uh, sort of on par with the rest of the world from a trade standpoint. Okay, but we need a vibrant middle class. We need jobs, not a fifteen an hour. I mean. 15 an hour doesn't even begin to solve your problems with my health insurance, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that may be a conversation about, you know, entry-level jobs and how much they should pay, but it's not, it's not a viable wage. We need jobs that are 55, 65, 75,000 an hour that, that, that can lead to somebody actually buying a house and building, paying for a child's education and, and so on. So, so that, that's, that's, 
I think that's really what it takes to maintain the, the purchasing power. And we've been going backward, um, you know, uh, 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 because uh, j just because of the, the lack of wage growth. And that's a global phenomenon because of the lack of demand. Um, and I, you know, that's not a USA specific problem. That's a global problem. Yeah, it's a global problem. But when you say that we wages, are wages in, in, in Germany have gone backwards for years, but hmm. the, the Germans don't seem to mind as much as the Americans. They don't, they don't raise hell about it as much. When it's coming though. Okay. Think, it's coming in Germany. I think so. When you say that we are exporting less than we're importing and you're saying that's not, it's not a, the biggest problem we have right now because of our vibrant middle class. But long-term, that's a problem because this goes back to your example earlier where that's going to be an issue for us, correct? Well, you can afford a certain amount of deficits and, and borrowing, especially when you're world reserve currency, okay? You don't have to be an expensive currency to, to actually be a good currency. Okay. So, so no, it's not a, it's not a problem. It, the, the magnitude, though, it, you know, when, when you're running... I, I, sorry about that. When you're running deficits that are, uh, you know, trillions of dollars annually how sustainable is that and what right. is that going to do into the future you know as you can see now every time somebody has an idea how do we pay for it because we're already you know and, and, and it kind of it, it kind of raises some interesting questions you know like for example uh biden currently wants to raise taxes okay but we're not raising taxes to balance the budget okay we it's not even close Right? We're going to raise taxes. It's not going to balance the budget, but we're going to spend some more money. So it begs the question, why even bother with the taxes? Just spend the money. Yeah. Right? I mean, if we're spending money anyway, so are you saying that we're at a point? Is, are they saying we're at a point where we can't do any more? They're not saying that. Yeah. So why are we taxing people? You know, just because it's politically, you know, the right thing to say? Uh, I mean, we're, we're certainly not going to do it for any good purpose that I know of because whatever spending they have in mind, you can do it anyway. That's the part I don't completely understand. Go All right, I get that government, that government doesn't make any money. They either get that money from taxing or printing the money or borrowing it. That's the only way government has money. And so taxing comes back to hurt the small business owners. Um, borrowing from the future hurts everybody printing it what is the problem if we just said no tax we're just going to print money what would be the what's the downside to that oh eventually this water would cost a million dollars because inflation yeah we would have nobody would want your money i mean you just you know look at lebanon lebanon i was in lebanon last year it took 1500 liras to buy a dollar today it's 8000 just just one year later, mm. one year, one month later. So that's because they printed too much money. Okay. So then back to taxes. That's why you can't get rid of taxes and just print money then. Right. Right. But yeah, that's right. But, but they're taxing not to pay off the debt. They're just going to spend more. So, so in other words, yes, in I other see. words, we're, we're going to be further deficit next year than we are this year. So what, what, if you're not going to reverse that trend, what good is it to tax? Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I see your point. With everything going on, the deficit is not something that's being talked about much. Not anymore. Not anymore. It was 
back when the like the Tea Party was big on that, right? Right, right, right. And that just sort of went away. Well, so, because because you had some very pissed off oligarchs called the Koch brothers that were upset that uh, that Obama wouldn't compromise with them on the Obamacare or some other issues. I don't, you know. So they funded this movement, and that's essentially the society. They we funded live. the Tea Party movement. Uh, absolutely. Oh, okay. the, the, the essentially that's the society we live in today, where you know every every movement is really some uh, some acts that. Some uh, some billionaire has to pick. Yeah, you know, with, with with another billionaire, we're supposed to go out in the street and and root and hollow and cheer for them. But it's it's just one billionaire fighting another billionaire. Yeah. We did it for us. <laughs> this is a complicated country we live in. <laughs> and I'm glad to be here, by the way. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Sure. Um, our biggest exports, you know what they are? I mean, obviously, entertainment's got to be a big one for us, right? Technology. Yeah, I, I would have done some homework if you're going to ask me. No, I'm just kind of curious. So I, I Agriculture, would, big export of America? So, so, you know, I mean, in dollar terms, maybe, but, but you know, you got to look at uh, uh, exports in terms of, you know, really the, the added value or the what, what. So, for example, there's a lot more profit hmm. and salaries that go behind software then goes behind something like corn yes you know so you have to look at it that way but we can we can look it up if you guys want to but but at the end of the day um we don't have to be an exporting country net exporter that's not really necessary um what what uh what we do need is to have sufficient demand and product demand either domestically or globally and sufficient jobs that pay sufficient wages. Yeah, that's that's really what we need. But uh, you know, if if I own a copyright to a carburetor, or well, I don't know if they use carburetors on cars anymore, but let's say I own a I own a, a copyright on a fuel injected system, and I have it made in China and sell it here, I am making most of the money. Okay, and I will have people, designers here, whatever. I may not have the manufacturer here. I may not have line workers, but I'm still getting the profit. So it's a net benefit to America, and I'm going to invest that money, hopefully, and then, you know, make make the make a product for the Tesla. So I have my next product, whatever. So so uh, you don't have to make everything or or so on. But we got to have balance in again demand. And the jobs, the good-paying jobs, and the problem is the challenge is that this is a global problem. You know, countries that that like China can sort of uh, t- uh, take away jobs only so long, but before somebody says, "Wait a minute, I'm not trading with you anymore." I mean, it's yes. just human nature, right? And and um, there's an interesting book called, and I hope I don't butcher this. Uh, trade wars are class wars, okay? Can I cheat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, you can cheat. By the way, do you want any Buffalo mm-hmm. Trace? Or are you good? I'd love some. All right, kick me your uh, glass over there, and I'll pour you a little bit here. All right. Uh, I just want to check uh, a Kindle real quick. Um, you made a pretty compelling pitch for Kindle the other week too. This is just the app. Okay, trade wars are class wars. So I was right. Well, trade wars are class wars? Yeah, trade wars are class wars. Um, Matthew Klein and 
uh, Michael Pettis. One of them, and forgive me, I, I should not be saying this, one of them, uh, one of them is a professor, uh, I think, in China, and uh, I should know which one, but uh, I'm going to embarrass myself. <laughs> I say I don't. But. Andrew, do you anyway, so my, the point of this is that the, the, the problem, the challenge of globalization is not for the business owners and the people that, that have the, the, the wealth because they're making it off their stocks. The challenge is yeah. to, to the, so therefore, just like the title says, trade wars are class wars. So it is a war between the Chinese worker and the American yes, worker. Yes, I see. I, there's not enough for me. I have to share it with you. You're not buying enough for me. So, so now we have a trade war. Okay? I see. The, the elites and the companies don't care. Makes sense. Right? They, 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 they're going to make money either way. They're going to move production, lift production. They'll adjust to the laws. They'll do whatever, right? So, uh, uh, matter of fact, you know, uh, intellectual property and things like that started to hurt American companies, but they were very reluctant to, to go to confront the Chinese with it. You know, they were whispering to the administration, both Obama and Trump, say, hey, you got to do something, you know? So, so, uh, because they, they risk not, not, not being able to profit from their own product. They right? didn't want to piss off the Chinese themselves, yeah. the, the company. So right. they went to the government to try to... Right. Okay. And so I want to answer a question you just asked because you know, my brain is slow sometimes. Microchips are our best export, our most important export by far. We have technology. The technology to make microchips is U.S. technology. Even the German machines that are used to make microchips use U.S. technology. You cannot, the, the Chinese are way behind on how small the wafers can be and, and that, that whole technology. And that is going to be critical technology going forward. And that's why the fight over, over between the Trump administration and, uh, and 5G and all of that. So that is our biggest uh, microchips. Uh, microchips by far are the most important. Do you, I don't know if by do in dollar terms are biggest, but they are the most important. Do you know <clears throat> offhand if Corning makes microchips? Corning does. Corning, Corning does? Yes. yes. I think okay. Texas Instruments, Corning, they all make, uh, obviously, Intel. Okay. Because um, when you said microchips and even the plants needed, I'm sorry, the machines needed to make the microchips in Germany, I had a friend from back in uh, New York who worked at Corning, and he traveled to Germany some. And uh, to fine-tune these machines and everything to make whatever they were making, yeah. and maybe it was microchips. A lot of this intellectual property owned by you know companies like Corning. Uh, I think Qualcomm is a big one. Okay. Um, I think this book discusses some of that. Um, did you find Andrew? Did you find some of the other exports out of America? Some of the main ones. Yes. Number one is machinery, including computers, exactly what uh, Fadi was saying. That uh, would include uh, the microchips probably, right? Includes, yep. Two, two, uh, $205.9 billion, 12.5% of total exports. Right underneath that is mineral fuels, including oil, at $1.99 bill. And then electrical machinery at number three, at one point, or I'm sorry, at $173.2 billion, 10.5%. There's also aircraft, spacecraft, vehicles, Optical, medical apparatus, plastic, plastic articles, precious metals, pharmaceuticals, and organic chemicals. Yeah, so just leave that up there for a second. So machinery, including uh, computers, is 12.5% of our 
total exports, mineral fuels, including oil. That's a that's big one. That, that is interesting. Yeah. But but see, that only happened in the last couple of years too, right? That we became a net exporter. Right. Of, and these are not net numbers. I think this is just what we export. No, so you could possibly right. subtract some numbers from there. But it's very, very important that these are the exports. These are important exports. But right. you're right. We are a net exporter. In the yeah. Network. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, you're, yeah, you're right. Um, I think it, that, that would include... So that number would include like refined fuels that have to be added to yes. gasoline to process it to make gasoline things like that. Yep. But for the raw product, I think we're exporting around six six million barrels a day of crude oil. Wow! I believe that's the number now. Wow! What what else is on that? Uh, yeah, the fastest grower is the pharmaceutical industry. Okay. Uh-huh. Interesting. Up by ten point eight percent since twenty eighteen. So definitely really fast. Second place for improving export sales was mineral fuels, including oil, thanks to a 3.7% gain led by crude petroleum. Look, uh, look at this. America's shipment of vehicles posted the third fastest gain in value via, well, that's only 1.8% increase. But there you have an increase in vehicles being manufactured, presumably, in America and sending them out. Mm-hmm. Leading decliner was gems and precious metals, which fell 6.6%. Weighed down by thinner revenues, mainly for diamonds and gold. Hmm. What year was this? This is uh, 2019 numbers. What's interesting, too, about the, um, going back to the, I think it's UMCA for just a second, is um, I read something interesting on that that was, yeah, the International Trade Commission, ITC, which is an independent nonpartisan commission estimated that the USMCA will have a greater impact on the U.S. economy, jobs, and wages than any other trade agreement it has ever reviewed, projected to raise GDP by 0.3%, and had 176,000 jobs. I mean, we were just talking the other day with, uh, who was it, Andrew? We were talking about what seemed like a mismanagement of Trump's campaign, just focusing on some of the wrong... Oh, Stephen Mansfield. Stephen, yeah. We were, just, we, we were just discussing Trump and how he definitely has his share of haters and everything. But when you look over some of the things he did, UMCA being one of them, like, why wasn't that talked about? The fact that that was the best trade agreement ITC has ever seen. You know, it just yeah. wasn't... It wasn't at the level of consciousness in America. Well, I think that uh, sometimes um, his communication style doesn't lend to that, for one. And uh, he did a bad job in that one uh, that one debate where you know it was more argu- argumentative and attack. And I think that if he yeah. had taken that tact, um, uh, the more argumentative he was, the more it fed into this out of control uh, kind of crazy guy, whatever you know. It's his style. He he didn't change. Yeah. For for the whole four years, he didn't change. Um, but uh, you know what, I, 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 do, I, I do think that there were a lot of positives that came out of that administration. I'm not sure that, that it was, a, especially in the first two years, that it was a very stable administration and it, was very, it looked very scary at times with people going in and out, going in and out. But quite frankly, a lot of it was due to the fault of the Republicans. The Republican establishment was which kind of either shunned him from actually participating in the administration. That was the first first thing. But then when they did, uh, uh, or, or at least the people that he ended up having to rely on, uh, 
they were sort of anti the administration while they're in the administration. I mean, at some point, we had to remind people that actually, yeah, when you work for the president, he does say the final word. I yeah. mean, <laughs> really? We have to remind you of that? When did that become like a debatable issue, you know? Uh, but it's kind of funny, some of the stuff that came out of this. But uh, I, I think that, that being an outsider on a, into a system uh, uh, was was challenging. Yeah. N- neither neither party liked it. Uh, you know, and and um, uh, you have to think about the the Republican Party has changed forever. They can't go back because there is no base to go back to. Once people latched onto this, you know, uh, all they have to do now is figure out a way how to get rid of the racist label that people people keep throwing on them. Yeah. And and uh, you know, on the other side, you have a problem too. Both parties have a problem. The other side is that you really can't be the party that's known for socialism in this country. Yeah. It's not a winning argument. We don't have a single place in the, in the world we can point to where socialism actually benefited people. But people don't know that. I, I don't, know that, it, I don't Dude, know that it isn't a winning argument in this country. Look, they, and if it, it almost is now, how about five, four years from now? How about eight years from now? At, at some, If we keep heading this direction, at some point it is going to be a winning argument, even though there's all kinds of objective data around us, including what different states are doing and how that's working out for them. But then you can go beyond that and look at what other countries are doing. But people aren't paying attention to that. So, so, so first of all, they, they don't understand socialism. And when they say socialism, they don't actually mean socialism. So here's what they mean. Socialism is where you, the central power controls the means of production and the allocating of resources. They say socialism as somehow to equalize and make a fair uh, uh, economic system. In other words, a, a better distribution of wages. Well, you can't do that through socialism. I mean, you can do it through welfare, which is socialism, but it's going to take a lot, a lot of welfare to bring up to fifty-five, sixty-five thousand dollars a year. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. Yep. You, you, the, a job, a good-paying job, comes with insurance, and you save your four hundred one k, and you have a pension. That's the life. That's what we should be selling in America. And I disagree with you. I think that there are a lot of people that you base your opinion on that socialism works for them because they grew up in a, they, they're just kind of brainwashed by the idea that it's all unfair, this and that mm-hmm. and the other. But um, I can tell you one thing. Most, not most, almost all immigrants know socialism is the wrong way to go because they came from it. I agree okay? with that 100%. They came from countries yeah. that are that are everybody's trying to mention. Why do you think in 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 border in Spanish community, Mexican community bordering bordering Mexico ends up going for Trump. He's the he's the racist that's building a wall. Why are you yep. voting for him? Yep. You know? Why does he get the Cuban vote? You know, it's because they came here to escape that. Yep. You know, and it doesn't take much. You know, yeah, a lot of young people can do a lot of stupid things in school. I learned some stupid things. I came out of school as a bleeding heart liberal, you know, and I just just kept kept trying to make it work and just wouldn't work, wouldn't mm-hmm. add up. You know, the incentive is what makes things work. You have to have capitalist incentive to create innovation that creates jobs. You know, cap- socialism did not bring you the Apple phone. Capitalism did. Yes. Yep. You know, and that, and what 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 are we seeing? And 
Iran. Iran doesn't have enough money to invest to even produce the oil that they have in the ground. Venezuela, same thing. These countries, Venezuela flipped into socialism at a point when it was a rich country that had a lot of oil because it was going to use that oil to benefit the little guy. Mm. Okay? And all of a sudden they flip it, and 50 years later, where are they? You don't think America would be in the same place if it flipped to socialism today? Absolutely. We wouldn't have anything 50 years from now. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Look, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I don't think, I think there's a lot of Americans that aren't thinking in those terms. They're thinking, how can I make this a little bit better for me without having to actually go work maybe a little so. bit harder? I mean, maybe, maybe so. I'm sure there are people, there are people that believe in a lot of things, but the way they voted on November 3rd, socialism did not win. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what's important. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Brian Buffini is an immigrant from Ireland. Uh, you know, one way to uh, make my blood boil is to talk about socialism and bring in systems that immigrants escaped. Yeah. Okay. That is, because I'm an immigrant. I'm a first generation immigrant. I was fortunate to come to this country. And I, I, it, makes me, it makes me fearful, sad to think that all of a sudden we're going to have a, we're going to have a state where it's political whether the cops show up or not. What laws are going to be enforced is going to be political or what's popular by the current mayor, okay? All the, this whole move to bring control over the police department, I want the Constitution mm -hmm. to control the police department, not the local mayor, mm -hmm. you know? That's where we're failing, okay? I, I don't want... I, there shouldn't even be a debate. If I'm in trouble, I can get whatever law firm I want to get. That is a fundamental right in America. I cannot believe that people are getting away with vilifying people for simply repre getting representation in court. Isn't that what... A murderer gets that. Yeah. You can murder somebody and get protection, and the government would pay for it. But if you go out and get your own protection and pay for it yourself, you're going to be attacked. And now we're going to talk socialism in this country. It, it's kind of like... It's kind of like finding your best asset and cutting it off. Yes. Well, it's not kind of like it. It is like it. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. what it is. Where, where, where's Palo Alto? How many jobs? How many jobs has Microsoft created? People look at the wealth of these billionaires like it's coming out of their pocket. It didn't come out of your pocket. Multi money multiplies. That is capital that now he is investing in all kinds of things, including better life for a lot of African people, mm -hmm. including energy research in the United States, venture capital, everything else. Capital is not the enemy. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't solve the wage problem by taxing capital. You solve the wage problem by creating the jobs that pay higher wages. And yes, you might have to do it through some protectionism or better trade deals. I, I agree with that. We don't live in a that's not a criticism of capital. Saying we need regulations is not a criticism of capitalism because we're not in a free trade, free-for-all capitalism. We're not in that, okay? So if we were and you were saying, oh, it's not working, then I would say, okay, then that's a failure. If it's, right? But we're not there. We're in managed trade. Mm -hmm. We're working with other countries that are basically, at best, managing their trade with us. At worst... They're actually prying on our jobs. They are, right. they are actively engineering ways to steal our jobs, okay? And some of our leaders in the past have participated and aided in that happening mm -hmm. because they didn't care. It just it doesn't matter. It's business. We're doing business. Yep. 
Well, you're doing business on the backs of Americans that now can't afford their health insurance. Yeah. Well, it's not just business. Sometimes they're paid large sums of money, right? Through lobbyists. And they go through multiple layers of protection to make sure that it's not clear that another country is funding the lobbyists. But sometimes international money does work its way in here and works its way through the lobbyists. And now you have politicians making decisions. Can you bring up another point is, you know, capitalism, things get allocated relatively efficiently in capitalism. I really believe that. Government is not, what well, even, even democratic government, is the anti-capitalism because it's allocating resources based on influence, based on those things that you just mentioned. Right. So moving to a socialist system means getting rid of any efficient allocation of capital and moving to a system where oligarch and people like Putin would actually allocate the resources of a society and how things are being spent. I mean, that's, that's, that's asinine. Yeah. You know, to even be considering that when we, ha- we have what we have. Yes. Yeah. Well, didn't that exactly happen with the Alibaba founder in China? They kind of raised him up and then sent him to Germany? Yeah. And, and they again, took over they, his they, company? Well, they put an ant, ant uh, IPO, it was supposed to be the biggest IPO ever in the world. And they scrapped it because he put together, he, he made a speech that said, our financial institutions are backwards and they need to be more innovated and challenged. And, uh, they put him down, buddy. They they exed that. That IPO did not happen. This was Chinese IPO? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chinese okay. IPO. Hmm. Yeah. Brian Buffini wrote a book called The Immigrant Edge a couple of years ago, and it's just this concept of immigrants coming into America are generally more successful than the average American by quite a lot because of some of these things I think you're uh, talking it's about. It's self-selection. Who's, uh, Michael, who said this? Brian Buffini. Okay. He, yeah. the, the author of... Uh, uh, 5,000 Hours, was the name of that book? Uh, 10,000 Hours, Malcolm 10, Gladwell? Malcolm, he said yeah. that too. Oh, really? But, but that's not saying much. Uh, it's self-selection. I mean, I, of course, we've benefited from the best brains in the world. Uh, okay, first of all, the people that worked on the nuclear bomb came from Germany. I mean, they were Jewish immigrants, okay? Who, who do you want? Most, some, some of the biggest uh, tech companies are founded from people that came out of Russia and Germany or some other mathematician, well-educated, you know, they're all over the place. Uh, that's, 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 they, are the, they are the American story. Yeah. This is no different than our, the ancestors that came when the first came, first, came first time around. I mean, yep. they, they were looking for a better life because they had ideas, but, but America was the great equalizer. Initially, it was about land. I could have their own land. Uh, they they were basically having to work the land for for the landowners in Europe. It was all it's like monopoly. At the end of the game, it all ends up in the hands of one person. That was Europe. They came to America and they could get land grants and become productive and do their own thing. And next thing you know, they financed their own banking system. Next thing you know, we have a financial system that is far greater than anything Europe ever had. And then next thing you know, we have innovation, technology. We consume things. We innovate things. We we, we have clocks that glow at night. We have things that do crazy things. We, we just keep going. And next, you know, we want to land on the moon. We want to do this. We want to do that. What's Germany doing? You know, Germany got participants. Making beer. Right, making beer. Yeah. yeah. But no, they, they manufacture a lot of things. They're very good at it. They're superb engineers. But you know, a lot of Germans are here in America making that yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know we we are we are we. I believe fundamentally, America is the fulfillment of the world dream. Okay, that's not flattery to America. That's flattery to human beings all over the world. You know, they got to be able to 
Live the human dream, the human race's dream is to innovate, take care of your family, have, have the ability to invent things, do things. And now we're selling it back to the rest of the world. Everybody wants to emulate, emulate us. But we have a couple of chunks chumps in our society that say that we want to be like them. No, yes. they want to be like you, you dummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fadi, why don't you tell us what you really think? How about that? <laughs> well, we're, we're the... Um Back to the jobs, though. How do you see? Well, for, no. Let's hear the the. Why does the Republican Party have this tag of racism? First of all, it was the Republican Party that abolished slavery, right? I mean, yeah. and so there's that for yeah. that camp's history. Yeah. And then under Trump, the African American community, Asian American community, and there was a third community that have like had had the best run on jobs and income and everything. So what they just, does the Republican party just need to get a little bit more less whiteness in their ranks and that does the trick or what, what do they need to do there? No, I think historically, um, uh, Demo- Republicans have been more, uh, reserved about things like, uh, equal opportunity laws and, 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 you know, doing things that, that will, progressively encourage uh, these types of things. So they, they got stuck with that label. But, um, uh, you know, you, you never want to be the no party. So, but if you're anti-regulation, some regulation is good. Some regulation is, is not good. It's just for show. But if you still say no, you may come up a, looking like a racist, you know? Yeah, okay. Um, I think that the important thing uh, is how you handle it. And uh, I, I don't think Trump handled it very well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think you can call me a racist all day long. One, it's not going to raise my blood level. Right? I'm not, I don't function like that. Uh, but at the same time, um, I, I know I'm not racist, and I can prove you I'm not racist, and I will follow the things that I do every day and do it by example. I don't have to, you know, whatever. But uh, they, it does seem to work as a, as a political ploy to label people, mm-hmm. not just racist, but labels, you know, because um, uh, labels work. I mean, let's face it. Uh, Hitler did it. Um, every every every. It's label labeling people makes it very easy because mm-hmm. then you don't listen to what they have to say. If you want. and let's face it, Trump sometimes was his own worst enemy. Oh yeah, you know. For sure. So so you can't you can't feel sorry for the guy. He owns it. He asked yep. to be president, and he, he you know and he owns it. Now uh, it's ironic that you know sometimes what people some people get away with and some people don't. Like I mean, to me, when somebody tells a tells a black, if somebody told me. Uh, I'm not Lebanese because I'll vote. I don't vote a certain way, or whatever. It's I'm crazy. Like, what, what, who the hell are you, exactly. white boy? <laughs> you know, what, are you telling me who I am now? Yep. You know, and and he, you know, Biden got away with it. Totally and, got away tape. with it. Totally got so, away with so, it. So it's it tells you that that's because one group that's triggered by those words is all is only triggered by them when they are against their enemy. So it's not really a trigger. It's not really a real thing. It's just a way to demean somebody else. Sure. Right? I mean, otherwise, people would be just as offended either way. Yep. Right? And we've seen repeatedly where people get away with more 
on one side than they do on the other. Again, yes. that goes back to the cancel culture or whatever. Yep. But people wise up to it. Look, I mean, if people are too dumb, then that's their problem, mm-hmm. right? That's that's our problem as a society. I mean, we we you know you you get the leadership you deserve because. Because if it's really bad, then you do better next time. Yep. But if you keep electing the same people, expecting different results, that's your problem. Yeah, it's right? insanity. So, yep. so, so in, in a sense, um, I think that's, what, that's, that's why, look, uh, to me, it's a, I'm amazed as many people voted for Trump as they did, given what they were saying about him on MSNBC and CNN and ABC and CBS. I mean... It tells you that the, somebody was doing their own out-of-the-box thinking. They weren't listening to those stations. Yes. You know? And I'll tell you, I don't think they're racist either. I don't think 70 million people in America are racist. Yeah, I, to- okay, I totally agree. That's not, it's just not possible. <laughs> yeah. <Okay? laughs> the, um, I couldn't remember this the other day, Andrew, when I was trying to recall it to memory, but before the vice presidential debate, there was a commentator on ABC that was calling Mike Pence a bigot. That was oh, the B word I couldn't yeah. remember. It was a bigot. And I was just like, who is this yeah. lady? And why is she calling Mike Pence a bigot? Because of all the things to like attack him. First of all, you're on ABC News. You're supposed to have an objective opinion. And, but second of all, to call Mike Pence a bigot, it just doesn't stick. It, it seems to me like they're getting their source data from the fact that he's a Republican, from the fact that he's a male. And from the fact that he's a white. Uh, plus and, he and come on, like, dis- you got to do better uh, than that. He also disagreed with them on certain things, and they think that the only way you can disagree with that is if you're a booker. You can't be because of religious reasons. It can't be because of different opinion. It can't, it's, so, so they label the enemy. And that's, that's pretty typical in politics. I mean, Hitler labeled all his enemies. I mean, that's, that's how you, know, you, you stop the debate. You know, well, you do, but you're touching on a big, a big issue now because labels is all over the place at this point, yeah. right? I mean, this is an issue we got to deal with at this point, right. and and now we have censorship on top of this labeling, and it's created a really dangerous scenario here. How do we get out of this situation? Well, I don't think the people are listening to it. I think people are ahead of. It. I think they're already rebelled against. It. Hmm. I think that the, that's what I was trying to say by saying that I'm surprised he, he got as many votes as he did when they were saying all these things about him. You know, so, so think the news has lost some credibility. And, 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 and when you say that on top of the fact that, hey, sometimes he's his own worst enemy. I mean, sure. He owns some of that shit. Yep, right. Yep, yep. So so a better candidate would would would, uh, would have gone a lot better uh, in that situation. So what it tells me is that the name calling is not working. Oh, OK. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't think it is because if it did, you wouldn't have the outcome that you had. OK. OK. I think that people are just not fun. It's you know, you. You know, it's like cry wolf. You know, if if somebody's a bigot over everything that they do, and everybody is a bigot, then obviously they say, "Come on." You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, yeah. So there's still some amount of common sense left in the greater American people, and we're picking up on some of this stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think if Trump had just walked the final line and wasn't as offensive at some points, if he took it down just a couple of notches, he would have ran away with the race. I think if you yeah. did that and then you you had some different talking points in the campaign, I think he would have ran away with the Yeah, I mean, he race. did a lot of success. I mean, when's the last time? Three, three uh, countries in the Middle East normalized relations with, uh, mm-hmm. with Israel? I mean, yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, that would have been a dream come true for, uh, for Obama policy. I mean, he had yeah. to make a deal with, uh, with the devil Iran, and that didn't even work, you yep. know? Yep. So, so that, there you had that. You had the, the North American Free Trade Agreement. And let's, let's not forget that, you know, 
he he was he was they were trying to impeach him from day one. Exactly. So that's not exactly you know conducive to making changes and and so on and so forth. He had the Senate. Uh, unfortunately, he, he didn't have the House after the first two years. Uh, so that, that kind of limits what you can do. You're kind of writing it out. Then you're not really there's a limit. Yes, uh, and I wasn't paying that much attention back then. But uh, you can look at the attack on the president on Amazon. It's a documentary, and it kind of lays out what Trump was battling in the first couple of years. I mean, he had all kinds of stuff being thrown at him, Russia collusion and everything. It was like, it was crazy how much yeah. this was made up, and, yeah. but that takes time and attention. Absolutely. And there was a one point they're threatening his son, was it uh, Donald Trump Jr., maybe, yeah. Yeah. for treason? I mean, like, you know. Yeah, because he, he had a meeting, supposedly, or talked to uh, while he was on the transition team or somebody. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, the punishment for treason is death, right? Yeah. So it's like, th- there's a lot going I mean, on there. It's also hypocritical. Bad. I think people see it all along. I mean, they, uh, I mean, we also heard about Kerry talking to Iran after long after the Obama administration. So how is that not treason? How is it got, you know, it's just, it's just right. so, so, you know, it's kind of like, again, you know, that cry wolf. Yeah. After a while, who cares? Yeah, know? that's right. Um, how do we get... Fifty to seventy-five thousand dollar a year jobs back. I mean, they're not just putting you pieces know, to car listen, together. I, Robots I, I do that now. I, I prefaced what I said earlier is that you know I'm I'm into this because of obviously knowledge and I do care and on the investment implications. The solutions are a lot tougher because it's just I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any uh, ever fight fight for our trade or whatever, but you know you can't solve it just by tariffs and things like that. So. Uh, I think that the only good news I have for you as an answer is it doesn't take much. Okay, what I mean by that is just a few million, a couple of million cars a year would tip the point of car, car production in the United States. Where, so, for example, uh, you could have, uh, just like NAFTA says that you've got to have certain amount of production, certain amount of the work and the labor has to come from the United States, like 60%, before you can avoid some of the uh, taxes and tariffs. You can do the same thing with global trade. You can say, look, Mercedes, we want to continue to buy your product, but you sell this much to us and you export this much to the world. We need some of your production in the United States and not just what you sell in the United States, but we need some of the exports that you do to move the United States to. So net-net, it doesn't have to be equal. In other words, we mm-hmm. still import cars from Germany, but the share is much higher. Same thing with Samsung, same thing. So I think managed trade is, is the way forward because everybody's doing it. We have no choice. Everybody yeah. else is managing their trade. Um, if, if The numbers that I saw would suggest that if Germany was allocating investment dollars, they would not build their new factories in Europe, okay? South Carolina is a lot cheaper, okay? But then Africa is cheaper than South Carolina, right? But they still invest a considerable amount in Europe and Germany, despite that fact, okay? Well, that tells me that there's something going on in the allocation besides economics. And I would challenge that. I would say your number is going to be different now mm. because obviously your number is different today, not based on economics. And, you know, 
I think that's clear that it's a German German government protects their their manufacturers for jobs in return what the German companies have to do is keep jobs domestically. Yeah, okay. And we have to challenge that. We have to say, look, if we're gonna buy this many cars from you, we want a bigger share of that or we want some of that. Exports as well. Some of those cars you send send on to China and so on. So and, and I think that's how you have to move forward. And the the problem is that um you have some partners that are not going to cooperate. Uh you know, I mean, I, I think it's somewhat ironic that we buy so much from China. But Tesla is not exporting cars, or I mean, they might be right now, but the plan is to have the Chinese, Chinese production of Tesla has already started, right? So, I mean, the plant was already built in California. Why couldn't we expand it and export to China without mm-hmm. tariffs? Because we're buying all the stuff from it. You know, well, he has to compete against Elon Musk has to compete against very cheap labor in China. So if he wants to sell in the China market, he's got to produce in China. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> if they can do that, I can do that here. I'm, it's yeah. a, you know, yep. uh, what's the saying? What's good for the goose is good for the gander or yeah. something like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So do a few deals like that if you can get it done, working with the various parties in their individual interests and bring back... Yeah. Get a few deals done like that, and next thing you know, we've got we've got the quite a bit more is, jobs. The here. problem is, is that you know that's just like I said. There's the yesterday problem, which is cars and things like that. There's the future problem. We have to make sure that we're not creating the thing about regulation and all these things. Is sometimes you regulate, you you um, that you you have secondary and tertiary effects that you don't quite understand at the time. So you have to be very cognizant of that. You know, you don't want our companies to be so reliant on protectionism that their product is no longer protect product uh, competitive overseas. Yes. Um, this is why the Mercedes is so much nicer than the best thing that Ford has to offer is because Mercedes was making so much more money off their cars. They could invest more in production and research and and so on and so you can't have that we gotta we gotta have uh, uh, a, a fair playing field but the companies have to do their part mm-hmm. if they don't they should be allowed to fail protectionism should not be the way to keep companies from from doing what they're supposed to do mm. so it's a, it's a that's why i hate solving it in that direction but you have to start thinking that way because that's what the what the other countries are doing and um for better or for worse, I think that's the future. Yep. We're going to see more managed trade. Um, uh, yeah, because clearly the Chinese, the, the, the reason we cooperated with the Chinese for many years was that there was this big hope that you know as they become more reliant on us, they will open up their economy and even open up politically and have more of freedoms of expression and speech in their own country. Well, that hope is gone. Nobody yeah. has that hope anymore, not even the most naive person. So now it just becomes uh, somebody, a trading entity that's going to oppose you just about all the time. But now you've got to deal with the consequence of the fact that you've let countries like that now serve on the UN Human Rights Commission. Talk about bizarre. Right, I mean, China on the UN Human Rights Commission. What world is this? Yeah. We're in a fiction, fiction novel or something. You know, 
I mean, they got Muslims in detention camp. They've got people who have no rights. And I mean, come on, you know. Yep. Um, so, so that's 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 the system that we're in. It's not a very good starting point, but that's the starting point. You have to accept it and move on and do what matters. Bring the jobs. Shut the door when you need to. It's Friday night, and I know it's after five, so there we'll get go. you out of here soon. But what is the way forward with China? I mean, we have kind of created this monster now. Yeah, I think that you just have to, like, with, with regimes like Iran and China, you just have to let them uh, fail on their own. Just don't, don't empower them to stay in power and oppress their own people. And that's the problem with trading with entities like that, you know, is that... Well, you know, it's yeah. You know, maybe it's not, it's it's not uh, our way, or it's not right for us to dictate to how the Chinese should do what they do. Okay, I'll accept that. But by trading with the current power, you're enabling them to stay in power over their people. So, you're, you, it's, you can't. You, there's no, there's no escaping that. So I think it's a, it, it's sad, but it's true. I mean, buying oil from Arab countries that were uh, the, you know, like Iran and so on, were, was not good for their people. They oppressed their own people. Uh, but in the end, I'm hopeful because I see, I see these governments that do this to their people. They are failing. Eventually, they fail. And the problem is building something better afterwards is much harder than we think. Uh, sometimes they, <laughs> the new government is not better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the next step. We have to figure out how to do that. But, but they are failing left and right because they're not addressing the needs of their people. And the internet, thanks to the phone, the smartphone, is showing them how other countries are living. You can no longer lie to them. Mm. You know? so, so do you see some sort of an uprising happening in China in the coming years? You know, it's hard to say. I'm not like, I don't have a special talent for predicting that. But I think that... Uh, the current Z uh, uh, is in power permanently, and that's going to eventually where it's welcome. The the other people in the party that are being left out or being investigated or whatever, they're going to have something to say eventually about this. I don't see it as an as a as a situation that's in equilibrium. Oh, okay. How okay. long will that take? I mean, in China, they measure things by hundreds of years. So yeah. I'm not willing to make that bet in my lifetime. Yeah, okay. But, but uh, you know, um, and, and some of it has to do with the West. How the West acts to them, acts towards them, uh, will determine how long they stay in power. Right. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. They're, 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 they made a deal with their people. We create jobs, we improve your standard of living, and you give us power, and you don't complain about Anything. That's the deal. Well, if they can't satisfy the first goal, they can't. They don't get what the people are gonna have an uprising. Yeah. Yep. You know? um, the important thing, though, is you know we can't control that. Um, to a certain extent, we can't. Control we can make a choice whether we trade with them, don't trade with them. We can't control. Them. We have to accept that. But we can and should be very cognizant of the fact that we can't let that spread to the rest of, we can't let their influence spread to Taiwan and Singapore, and, you know, because that's what they want. Mm -hmm. that, that can't happen. Mm -hmm. that's, that, that's the end of us, because then we would have no influence uh, in, in the region, and 
we would have let a lot of people down. The good thing about it is that their own, they are their own worst enemy. You know, India all of a sudden wants to cuddle up to them. Okay? Australia has finally had enough of that, right? Um, Taiwan wants to buy arms from us and make deals on how to put the so so it, it's an American moment. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's an American moment is because we are the hopes and dreams of the sons and daughters of all those countries combined. They came to this country and created this country. It's the, it's the best pitch, mm-hmm. and that's what everybody wants. So we just have to be aware of that and remind our children of that. Yeah. Not, not to be bombastic and patriotic or whatever, but it's out of an obligation to the human race. Yep. And while we're at it, protect those freedoms here so that they're not chipped away so that the FBI can come in your house at any time or spy on you at any time or do all these things that were so, so against what the Constitution had in mind. Yes. Last thing. What do you expect for inflation in the next five to ten years here based on our deficit and how we're printing money? Do you expect to see inflation rampant? No. Um, There will be some assets that will uh, go up in price. and Some of it will be viewed as appreciation, but when it's really inflation, such as real estate, uh, such as uh, uh, financial assets, um, but uh, um, we don't have inflation. Inflation, uh, printing money is not sufficient to cause inflation, especially in a reserve currency. Our failure of a currency is totally different. That's mm-hmm. not inflation. That's a failure of it. That's like, you know, 6,000% inflation. That's not what we're talking about here. I think that uh, the United States is very, very... Um, far from that. Uh, some of it has to do with the fact that the debt ratio is still reasonable. Some of it has to do is that we have a military that can defend itself, uh, defend the country. And uh, that means that that's actually means that you can't be taken over, which is a big deal for your currency because normally when you're taken over, your currency is gone. <laughs> so, uh, so no, I, I, I think inflation, uh, I wish we could get some modest, consistent inflation. Uh, but we're not. Um, we're going to see inflation in certain assets I mentioned earlier that, that have had inflation in the past, but the trend is towards a lot of deflation, and then there's some inflation in some things, so we're, we're treading water or slightly inflationary, but I don't see rampant inflation. You said five to ten years. I'm comfortable with that. Five to ten years. Okay. What happens after that you know, is harder to predict. But uh, um, Look, I mean, uh, Japan has a lot of debt, and they have a, a, a their population that doesn't grow anywhere near as much as the United States. And uh, they've, they've, you know, I think that uh, the problem that we mentioned earlier is that we don't have enough demand for inflation. You have money chasing capital goods. Too much money chasing the same goods will cause inflation. The problem is. We don't have the demand. I see. We're producing capacity. Most factories are producing capacity at 70 80%, and they can produce a lot more before there's inflation. They're, they're, they're having a hard time selling what they got. We don't have excess capacity. Mm-hmm. We don't have too little capacity. 
Mm-hmm. So actually, we have too much capacity, excess capacity. So, so it, it, the problem isn't capacity or it's the demand. The demand side of the equation is failing us. It started failing in the 70s. So the way to solve that was to find four markets. And, and American companies did that very well. Most S&P 500 companies, I think as a whole, the S&P derives about 40% of its sales from overseas. So we went overseas and sold them our product as, 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 a, as part of a reaction to, the, to grow up. You know, so we did it, right? So the problem is there's insufficient demand now going forward. Um, and that's what you need to have inflation. You need to have uh, basically a supply shortage where all of a sudden, okay. you, you know, like you're seeing in housing in certain markets, like I you see. see in education because it's subsidized or things like that. So there are pockets of inflation. But as a whole, it, it's it's a problem. We need more of it. Yep, yep. Well, this is great. It was a All lot right. of fun. We're going to finish on inflation. All yeah. Right. Anything else you wanted to hit? No, thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Fadi. This is fantastic. A pleasure. As always, have a good uh, weekend. Bye.